Brevity Box, Episode 2. We made it past the first episode. We are recording on October 16th and uh, 2020, and there's a lot going on, a lot of things on my mind. But, you know, I have to start by saying and acknowledging the obvious. We're leading up to a really crazy election, and there's a lot of tensions all over the place. And I think for most of the year, I've felt like a lot of you, where I I feel like I don't know, you know, what's uh, reality. A lot of cases, uh, I'll do my best to figure it out. And and sometimes I don't know if I'm on my own in some of my fears or doubts or what I'm thinking. And I have to tell you, over this last ten days, I have come across a real feeling of calm simply because it seems like in some capacity truth is having its moment, right? Like, um, and I'm able to find some more relatability in, in different things. So uh, they, it, where we're at right now, we have had uh, the first presidential debate, which we won't really go into too much. We've had the vice presidential debate and we got to a place where we had competing town halls on different channels. And and if you want to hear about what people think about those particular moments, there's a lot of material out there. There's a lot of places you can go and get opinions and whatnot. But the one thing that stood out to me is um, Frank Lutz, who, if nobody's familiar, is a fairly neutral party that every election he tends to get together a group of undecided voters and they participate in watching the debates at the time and then he goes through with a series of you know very simple very probing questions you know one word or phrase that makes you that you, that you take away about you know candidate one 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 word or phrase you take away from candidate two and and who did you vote for then and what puts you on the fence now and you know, I'm not going to go too much into, you know, all of the other material that's out there. But the thing that stuck out, stuck out to me with this panel of undecided voters, because I think initially people are, are polarized and, and becoming more so throughout the election cycle. And you wonder who are these people? And, and it it's really easy to think that there's no way to relate to them. And sitting down and watching this and you can find it on YouTube. It's a, it's a pretty easy thing to look at, but you know, the, the thing that I came away with is feeling like I could relate to some of these people in the sense that uh, some of the reoccurring themes were about character and about, or like uh, they're on, possibly. Oh, well, I, I think, well, that's the thing. I'm, I mean, look, it's really easy, right? It's really easy to pick up that flag. And I had to finally say things. something at three and a half minutes, and I, I wanted to see how long you could just ramble on, but I was going to bring you in. I, had, I, was gonna, I had a whole setup. But no, that's cool. Jump in. I mean, the, the main thing is, is that, uh, and by the way, obviously, I'm Charlie, Triple C. And that's Brando, my partner in crime. We're just a couple of nobodies making our way through all this crazy chaos. And, and uh, you know, where I was getting to is, you know, I mean, pretty much to the point, the thing that I came away with is a lot of these people had the same reoccurring message that ha at any point 
during several opportunities. And now it seems like it's clearly too late for this. But they felt like most of them, whether they voted for uh, the sitting president in 2016 or whether they didn't, everybody seems to agree that if at any point the man had just owned, I mean, just errors in judgment and mistakes that they that had been made to, to any measure of responsibility, taking any responsibility and saying, you know, that's on me. This is where my part in, in these errors is. Now, again, I don't want to get too into it because uh, like where I'm bashing somebody or going too, uh, too much into the hyperbole. All I'm saying is it felt good to see a panel of Americans from across the country kind of agree that the thing that stays their hand about the man is they question his character and they really feel like he has had plenty of opportunities to sort of take uh, an opportunity to say, you know what, I may should have made this decision, but I made that decision and this turned out in a way I, I, I'm responsible for to some extent or capacity. Uh, I certainly am not recommending entirely for anybody. And and that, you know, to kind of try to move on for that and a lot from that. And a lot of them would say things like America loves a redemption story. America is forgiving. And a lot of them seemed really pained by this reality, right, that they are exhausted with it. And uh, and, and look, that's not to say they don't have doubts about the other candidate. Like, I don't want to get into all the details of that. But for me, this for a long time, it's felt like that. Right. I mean, would you say that's the truth? I mean, if you had to boil it down to something, Brenda, wouldn't you agree that it, it comes down to that like old Greek adage that character is destiny, and and the fact that he's represented this sort of aggressive and and um, unyielding character that doesn't take responsibility and sort of blames everybody around him, it it seems to have worn on others in the same way and they're looking for some amount like those were the words that pass humility humanity and those are things that i value too right and to know that other people randomly were feeling the same way now albeit they're torn and and they're busy and they have their own lives but that actually made me feel like sanity was in front of me right like it just kind of gave me some sense of that. Do you do you get any of that, man? I mean, I know you probably didn't see the the same video yet, and and I'm kind of blindsiding you with this, but I think you get the gist, right? I mean, that that you and I talk about it. I mean, do you feel like that's the case? Seven minutes, six seconds. <laughs> uh, yeah, brevity. <laughs> brevity. First of all, the the. To go on your first point, Lutz, whatever I hear about this person, I automatically think about that super weird cast member from 30 Rock, and I don't take the person seriously. Um, oh. I, 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 I can't, I can't <laughs> right. help it. Flames on his car. Who's yeah. going to ride? Who's going to get in my car? Um, no, it, it, it <laughs> is. Re- no, I, I, I didn't actually watch that video. I, I, I did subject myself to some of the uh, Senate Judiciary crap with Amy Coney Barrett. First of all, you have to think it was intentional that Republicans are nominating someone, a woman, Amy Coney Barrett, ACB, to replace RBG. 
That has to be intentional. I mean, look, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'll be if you really kind of put me to the fire. There's there's a difference for me in terms of the Supreme Court and Amy Comey Barrett, Coney Barrett or Comey Barrett. Is it Coney? Uh, you know, I crazy. I don't it's know. it's crazy. Uh, fair enough, but I guess I don't really like. I would prefer crazy personally. for her religious beliefs. In my opinion, let me be specific. I, look, I, I see where you're coming from, but, you know, I, I really think that – so there's a couple of rulings this year in the Supreme Court that have uh, – like, I didn't expect Roberts to go some of the ways that he did on his decisions. I'm not going to be very specific. Again, I'm not trying to – you know, there's a lot of places people can go to hear somebody say what's wrong with the process or what's wrong with that person. But for me, in terms of the Supreme Court, I don't – know of anything that makes it seems like dirty pool but not against the rules right for them to f- push this through and and the thing that bothers me the most about it is i feel like there are other things that they probably should do in my opinion before they do this but that being said about the average american person yeah yeah but i also feel like that's this is about legacy for them and i get where they're going from and i don't know if there's any legality that they're breaking I would prefer if they would wait till after the election and that whoever is elected gets that choice. But but at the same time, I don't know that it's I don't know that it can be really characterized as just definitively unfair. And I mean, I don't know. I want hope people pay attention to that. I don't know enough to say this is unfair. It doesn't feel right. And I would prefer something else. The um, only reason why I'd say it's unfair you know, is they're breaking the McConnell precedent for not letting President Obama oh, sure. get someone through in his, what, Scalia died in like February or March of Obama's last year? And now there's crap going through the Senate when people are already casting votes for the next president. Look, I, I think that what happened to America... That, 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 is, that is my biggest problem with it. Going against well, their own I, bullshit. I, I, well, and I mean, look, I mean, I think that's fair, right? I think you're all right. You're all right to have that opinion. I agree with you. I think what happened to Merrick Garland was terrible. I think Mitch McConnell is a master at dirty pool, but again, but if I if I try to look at it, I don't I don't know, and I mean that I don't know enough about it to say that it's uh, unfair. With her, I don't know enough about her yet, and I will look into it. But let's you know beyond those hearings and beyond my opinions, however uninformed or informed they are and like i'm with you i think it's kind of two-faced and it's dirty pool but i get why they're doing it and i don't know that there's a legality that that there definitively says it's not again you know you can't do it so yeah i i don't like it but i don't know that i have a right to really complain about it past i wish it were somebody else and the way they did it before was really dirty like i feel like it has more about me disagreeing with what they did to merrick garland before um, than it does me disagreeing with what they're trying to do now. Um, but still, okay, let's let's I'll, I'll reference this panel from Frank Lutz. You know, one of the women on the panel is lifelong conservative. And again, this is somebody that probably I would disagree with on a lot of things, but probably not all things. And it it still came down to those same things, right? Like knowing that that person is somebody that I probably don't agree with on a lot of different fronts, but that, randomly i'm hearing this lifelong conservative say uh and i'm an independent for what it's worth uh that you know it's still boiled down to 
uh, character and somebody taking accountability. Now, I don't want to go too crazy with that because I don't. I'm not trying to be extreme or shock value. I'm just saying that those kinds of things matter to me, where I want to know that the person's character is about um, is dependable, right? And I think to see people who voted for him in 2016, Trump, to say that they are struggling and, and troubled by the way he handles himself, and like everybody on the panel seemed to agree. And and uh, listeners, if you watch it yourself, you'll see that you know they're they're troubled with this moment where we're trying to figure out what our identity is uh, now in this moment. And and they do give him uh, they tried they are holding him responsible for most for the most part for you know his role or lack of activity or just you know decisions one way or the other. And it it did give me. I mean, I got to tell you, the the tax records uh, leak, I guess you can say, and, and him in his own way affirming that he did owe a certain amount of money to the uh, IRS or to other parties that we don't know about, those are all things where I, I think truth is having its moment. And that's sort of why I'm bringing it up. I don't, I don't want to take it as an opportunity to say, oh, these people are terrible. I think everybody has their opinions, and we're going to find out what the country thinks soon enough. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna jump in here real quick because please. the whole yeah, yeah. taxes thing reminds me reminds me of one of my favorite lines from The Wire. You follow the drug dealers, you're gonna find drugs. You follow the money, you don't know what the fuck you're gonna find. That that may be true, and and I I wouldn't deny I wouldn't doubt that, right? I I'm just saying that we've spent a long time this last four years where a lot has been thrown mm-hmm. up into this place where we don't know what's real and true and what isn't real and true. And in this last few weeks with the records leaking and, you know, thankfully uh, I'm not the kind of person who would have wished super ill will on the man as the president gets diagnosed with COVID. But I, I think that the fact that he had it, it, it added a level of realism to it that that Chris Christie comes out and says, you know, I made him. So that I'll use him as an example. I don't. I'm not a fan of Chris. I'm shocked. I'm shocked he's still alive. Well, and look, I'm glad he is because the impact of a message from somebody in his position to say, I made a mistake. I should have worn a mask. There is no downside to wearing a mask. That just gave me some semblance of like reality is having its moment. That and 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 to be fair to people who I may or may not agree with, or whoever's thinking whatever they think, you know, I think people in, inevitably have a right to get to their conclusion, however they want. I may not agree with it. I may think they're crazy, but ultimately, I think that's sort of their right. I don't think it's the right way all the time, but for these kind of voices all over the board to be saying the same things, like. I should have worn a mask. There's no downside. And uh, and then, you know, for the president to get it, it definitively became real. It was no longer this isn't real or it's fake or, or it's not dangerous. It is. It's real. And that, to me, was comforting. And combined with Lutz's panel where people who I don't really understand how you can be undecided, undecided at this point, but hearing them say... Uh, one of them that stood out to me was a small business owner that was saying, 
you know, I, in my mind, I'm choosing between the well-being of my business and the well-being of the country. And I think that's a for, – for that person, I went like, okay. And, and, you know, when I think of somebody who owns a business and has a family, they, you know, they don't have the uh, time to invest in digging through all these layers in an environment where there's a clear effort to uh, make it really hard to discern what's true and what's not true. And a lot of times people end up in an echo chamber depending on where you get your news. Me personally, I like to read versus watch. I don't watch a whole lot of news. I do read a lot of news. And I think that's that's where you can see that there are a lot of journalists trying to be um, straightforward. Anyway, my point being is reality had its moment, and that gave me some sense of, okay, at least we're not two parties of, of crazy, crazy people. And and that to be said, I know that there's a small group of each side, right? That is nuts, but there's this large group in the middle that on a large group on one side and a large group on the other that I don't really think is is beyond talking to one another or that is beyond sort of agreeing on reality and then kind of deciding how you feel about it. And my parents are a great example. I know, Brando, your dad's probably the same way. They're at a point now where they can go, okay, this and this and this is reality, and then they get to decide kind of whether they care or whether they don't. And and I'm, I've kind of made my peace with that, that that may be the best we get through this cycle, right? That we can oh, at absolutely. least get to a place where we can agree on what reality is, and that, that's relieving. In a weird way, it's relieving. And um, I don't know why that made me feel better, but it did. And and then you hear ahead, Donald, man, and then you and then you hear Donald Trump during his, you know, head-to-head town hall because he was too much of a pansy for a virtual debate. Oh, he finally <laughs> condemns the white nationalists, but oh yeah, you know, QAnon. You know, I hear they like don't like pedophiles, but otherwise, I don't know a whole lot about them. <sighs> Look, I, I I would argue with anybody that he, I don't know what his um, plan is and why he does what he does, but I don't think he's. It's his base. Uh, it's part of his dumb. base. I, I, get, I get that, right? But again, uh, I want to avoid breaking everything down. Uh, the thing I really pay attention to... And I don't think, again, I don't think it's dumb. I just think it's willful, lazy ignorance. Well, willful, I, I give you that. Willfully, uh, and I say this when people ask me, um, do you think he's a racist? Do you think he's a fascist? The things I can say are this. I don't think I'll ever have the opportunity to spend one-on-one time with him. I don't know who he may or may not be behind closed doors. Um, I don't know if this person that's in front of the camera and is front out there doing his rallies is a character that's, you know, think Marilyn Manson. You know, is this just a character that he's really developed to such a point that that's something that we don't get to see who the real man is? I don't know who he is behind closed doors. What I do know is uh, he makes, you know, for me, from my perception, he makes a consistent choice to use the rhetoric and verbatim of a lot of things that really make it sound like he is those things. And that become, you know, and I've got no impetus to try to make up a defense for him. I kind of leave it to him. So you're right. He really should have done all these things and spoken about it differently. I, I don't know how disingenuous or genuine he is when he says that he, um, you know, is against white supremacy. I hope that's true. I think he plays games with it. I think he likes throwing matches at things that burn. You know, I think he's a kid playing with matches a lot of times. Um, but his commentary about masks 
and having them like you can hear that he's still dealing with chest congestion and for Chris Christie to say there's no downside to masks. I, to wait till, kind of, I just can't wait till all this bullshit's over so we can talk about normal things. Listen, I'm with you. And, and I don't – I'm so with – I'm so dumb with – and to, to kind of reference that panel, I think that the panel's done – I think we're just all exhausted with this whole song and dance routine. And I think I think that that made me feel comfortable because here's a bunch of undecided voters with Frank Lutz that whether I really think that I agree with them down the line or not, we could all agree that we would rather have a president that was um, – trust trustworthy and felt we felt was honest with the country and had everybody's interests in mind and that had representation of good character and some some clear humanity and clear humility and and you know that kind of thing now there are going to be people that disagree with that but i like that there's a group of people out there that cares about these things because those are things that are very important to me um, and that's really all I, I don't want to, I've already spent way too much time on it. I want to, I want to wrap up by saying something about wearing masks that I don't feel is represented out there. And I don't, you know, I hear a lot of people being like, if you don't wear it, you might kill somebody or you might die. And I think Americans are, the American persona is one of like every, like if you've seen uh, Iron Eagle, or Commando, you know, you're supposed to be... Oh, Iron Eagle, that was such a but, good movie. <laughs> but, the, uh, you know, that's sort of our, our mindset, right? We don't we don't scare easy, we don't like that fear motivation, and it's always being used against us from different sources, news, whoever. Here's what I want to say to anybody who might care, because I don't think... I think the reality is that uh, COVID is not going away when the election is over. And regardless of what we're doing and when the vaccinations are coming out, I just wanted to give my perspective on what the point of wearing a mask is that doesn't have anything to do with fear necessarily and is something that I wish I was hearing more of from uh, across the nation. And and, and I want to qualify this by saying two things. Disclaimer one, I am not a doctor in any capacity. I am, however, married to uh, a professional healthcare worker, and uh, I won't go further than that, but somebody who's in that and has ICU experience and is in the hospitals uh, working her, her career. And my perspective is this, and this is what I wish people would hear. Hospitals have a limited capacity, and the whole point, is to make sure that we're doing our part in the community to keep the hospitals from becoming overwhelmed, overpacked, so that if somebody does get ill, they can go to the doctor and get treated. And if we can do our part at slowing the infection rate, i.e. wearing masks and being considerate to the people around you, I mean, you can just call it being neighborly, then that helps control the atmosphere and the environment for the people who are career professionals and who are on the front lines in, in, in all intents and purposes are effect effectively our special forces in this battle. And if somebody were to approach the community 
in a city, in a state, in a in the nation and say, look, I'm not going to tell you wearing masks is fun, but this is why we're doing it. We want to keep the hospitals fluid and having enough ability to treat people and we can control the spread. And that way, if people do get sick, whoever it is, maybe you, you can go to the doctor because it's when those places are overwhelmed and people can't get treated that you start having unintended, unnecessary loss of life. That's because it. one of these days I'm going to have a rage-induced stroke while listening to C-SPAN, and I might need an ICU bed, and I want one to be available. Well, right, and and that's that's it, right? I mean, that's all I think it's about. It's not, you know, doom or or you know, be afraid or you're going to kill somebody. It's just, hey, we need you to do your part, and if you do your part, we can do this together and prevent it and get over it and get through it and be true to who we have always been, right? The most powerful country in the world with amazing facility and faculty. And this is, if you let those hospitals get overwhelmed, especially in smaller areas, rural areas, areas that are very pro-Trump, that's their right, then you end up having people who have loss of life that and relative people you lose family that you don't you, you probably could have avoided that and for me that that hits home my my dad had it and it was a really scary time and thankfully he made it through so um, yeah, your dad had a much less severe case than my dad did my dad spent three weeks yeah, in the you, hospital lost about we're in the hospital. 30 pounds has basically lost almost all of his strength uh he's still on blood thinners for the clots in his lungs from the pneumonia and uh i mean it's it's it, to me it's pretty simple the fucking mask on <laughs> well right and that look that's easy um and i know we've like i said I, I intended to spend like maybe 10 minutes on this but i went crazy with it um but look i don't hear that i just don't hear that messaging um around right i'm not trying i don't want to scare anybody or anything i really just say you you can play a role in helping get this thing out of the way and i think if we were given that message it would have been much easier to say you know let's try to keep living our lives Let's try to avoid shutting down things. Let's try to let businesses stay in operation. But but this is why we need you to do it. It's not about a candidate. It's not about weak or strong. It's about the hospitals being able to do their job without getting overwhelmed. And if people aren't doing their part, they do get overwhelmed. And, and, and look, please, you know, uh, for what it's worth, I, I hope that uh, I hope that's not something that drives any of money that's listening to too far to one side or the other okay let's move we're gonna before we, before, <laughs> before we move on to more lighthearted things we are going to talk yeah. about that vice presidential debate because working in white collar america i gotta say now that you know we're doing still doing all the remote work stuff it's real fun to throw around all those new kamala harris i'm speaking okay gifs into team chats every now and then it's real fun I highly suggest you try it, but don't get fired. I I, I just like, uh, <laughs> I just like Maya Rudolph playing the character, and I like the comedy that comes of it. I'm not, I, you know, I really hope that we can find a way to have civility in our disagreements, and I would like to see that more represented from everybody. But look, she, women in general get spoken over, and like railroaded. Yeah, he had one. Time. He had one job that night. Don't talk over the minority female. Really well, bad optics. But he also spoke over the the moderator 
Oh, yeah. Continually. And, and, you know, and look, that is who he is, right? That is um, baked in misogyny from my perspective. But I, I, I was glad to see um, Kamala Harris stand up for herself and assert herself in that way. To me, that was it was it was good to see it represented. And I think it was important to see it represented. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I, I think I'm. I'd like to go with that. Now, so this this is let's move on to something interesting here. I uh, and I'm gonna it's gonna sound like I'm going completely left, but follow me. While okay. I was watching all that stuff with Frank Lutz, I happened to just you know randomly I like to click on any video, like a lot of people, and I'm sure some of you have seen this. I I happened to click on. A video of a 66-year-old bodybuilder whose family bought him a pair of, I want to say Chromex. I don't know the brand of these glasses, but the glasses are intended and designed to Are you help just fishing people. for a sponsorship? No, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. This is different. Mm-hmm. Now, listen. Hear me out. This is this is a, okay, a sentimental okay, thing too. Okay. So this is a this, I, you know you don't know at first. It says on the title, "Man sees color for the first time." And some things stood out to me, right? Like seeing, you know, he doesn't know what it is. You should watch the video. It, I'm sure we'll try to post a link on the website. Um, but, you know, you, you will get emotional. And, you know, he, of course, opens the box and he puts the glasses on. And this man is seeing color for the first time in his 66 years. And there's no possible way like Brando or myself can know that what that must be like, right? But the sensation of him seeing the color, he his mannerisms and how he was reacting to it, just overwhelmed with emotion, that sensation, you know, a sensationary overload, and it almost looked like a little kid, right? So overwhelmed with emotion and sensory craziness that you know he he's clearly getting uh, weepy he his hands and his manures he's just overwhelmed and a beautiful moment i'm totally the kind of person that gets sappy and gets a little teary I, I ended up watching like 10 of those videos and then it gets to me that i like finding some allegories in these things and it just kind of felt to me like uh, there's so much going back to the political part of it. The reason I said that, like I wanted to tie these together. I think there are a lot of good people that disagree with you, that disagree with me, that disagree with, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever your view is, right or left. There are the people that disagree with you. I I felt like a good allegory would be you don't hate on the colorblind. You don't go and and talk about somebody who's colorblind as as this you know horribly flawed person, right? You feel more that you want to the idea that you could give them some tool then they could see color everybody sees the same thing. That to me felt like what I was describing earlier, right? I live in southern Louisiana. I live around a bunch of mm-hmm. lifelong conservatives that do good they do sweet things they're great people they're friends of mine we don't agree politically and we have different things that pull our strings and we have different amounts of time to look into it but from one point or another in some sense you could almost say politically there's a there's a blindness there that 
I don't think deserves resentment and and anger and uh, uh, rejection. Like I said, there are definitely small groups on each side that are combative and hard people. There's a large group of both sides in the middle that are that just don't see the things the way the others do. And I think it would be better if we could see more of that, even if we disagree, and we will. It's just better to see it as more of a, this is not something they can see or it's not something that they've been informed about. I'm not picking one side or the other. I'm just kind of using it again as an allegory. This is Here's the video of this guy who's never seen color and his family gives him this tool and he's overwhelmed and gets emotional about it. And I think that I think that's sort of what I took away from that Frank Lutz panel. Here's a bunch of people that are that are tired and overwhelmed and they're finally at this point where they're seeing some of these things that are realities. They see him lacking humanity, they see him choosing uh, willfully to behave a certain way and not acknowledge certain things. And for them that's a big difference, right? That if only he would sort of acknowledge some of these things if only he would use like a tool to help kind of everybody feel like that's reality that's what i see i think these things would move along a lot more smoothly now that sounds a little clunky now that i've gone through it but do you get where i'm going with that i mean do you see what i'm trying to say there i kind of zoned out for a minute there because you just kept going and going but i do want to one up you i do want to one up you on in a, in a similar area here sure. as a i mean Similar premise, but a lot cuter. A baby. All right, let's move on. Yeah, let's go on. Anyway. Let's do, a, let's get past it. A baby getting a cochlear implant, hearing her parents' voice for the first time. Yes, I've seen this. Yeah. I mean, we take it for granted, right? It just made me feel like how all the shit I complain about, but it just like I mean, seeing somebody grab a flower or a balloon and be like, "That's purple." Like, they don't have no idea. They've never seen it. They just thought, you know, I don't know what it's like to be colorblind. I don't know what it's like to be not be able to hear your parents' voice. I just, I feel like there's a lot of that going around in terms of um, political sensibilities. So, whenever, whenever I think of colorblind people, I typically default to the red, green ones. And uh, how insensitive the NFL is to them. Do you remember? Do you remember Color Rush a couple of years ago? Do you, yeah. Do you remember that game? I think it was what maybe the Falcons and the Jets. It was the Bills and the Jets. The Bills and the Jets, like a red, yeah, red and green uniforms. Yeah, yeah it was the Bills and the Jets. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, I have a, I have a coworker that's red, green, colorblind, and he's like, yeah, I couldn't see shit. And so look, it's look, so it's it's funny you mentioned the uh, you know you found that on YouTube because I've had a lot of free time lately. I think a lot of people have. I've, I've fallen down some weird YouTube rabbit holes, and it's one of the things that made me realize I need to get my life back to normal, which is why I'm back in my office now. What would you say is the weirdest YouTube rabbit hole you found yourself going down lately? I, I'm, I'm just curious. Weirdest? Weirdest. Man. You know, I I recently, uh, randomly, I, I, I watch a lot of, I don't say I watch a lot of, but if I see a police chase on a on a oh, dude. YouTube channel, I will yeah. watch it and just kind of see what happens. And I get hooked. And I, I was watching one that was out of my old 
uh, hometown in Texas where I went to high school. And, uh, you know, it very, you know, and I, I whole, uh, entirely turned it on. And I've been watching police chase videos for about 20, 25 minutes, which is probably sick. And, you know, this one. Same thing. Right. And so this one is more like speed because a guy hijacked a bus uh, armed and it's driving down the highway in north central Texas. And, you know, there's a police chase and there's gunfire being exchanged between the bus and police while in motion. This was Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto is exactly what I think about, too. And and bef- I'll, I'll come back to that story. Recently, near where I live in Baton Rouge, an 11-year-old kid stole a school bus and was <laughs> basically doing the same thing, sort of Grand Theft Auto-ish and flicking off the police and causing a lot of problems until he, he ran the bus into a tree. Well, like under a tree. He wasn't hurt, thankfully, but... Um, a lot of bus theft going on. So, but going back to this one, the thing that was crazy is I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of that rabbit hole. I've been watching a bunch of police chase videos. I get to this one out of Garland, Texas, and you know about the the bus hijacking and whatnot. And I watch it to the point where it's already, you know, it completes. They catch the guy, and I'm watching the news that's happening right at that moment, right where they have. Uh, you know, whoever's in charge at the moment or whoever the spokesperson for the police department is, and he comes out and there's cameras everywhere and they're, you know, what happened? Did you apprehend the suspect, et cetera, et cetera. And the police officer is giving a breakdown of what happened. Has anybody been hurt? You know it. And the guy that walks up to the mic, I immediately recognize as somebody that I used to, like who used to have the best house parties when I was in high school and I used to DJ the house parties at his house and his, his mom would be there hosting all these high school kids. And I'm looking at this man. I haven't spoken to him in maybe 20 plus, maybe 25 years. And here he is badged up looking, you know, I I don't know how to read rank, so I'm not going to pretend I know what his rank is, but here's, you know, officer, uh, Barano, and he's there giving his uh, details about the moment. And I mean, almost immediately, I had to, after 11 years of not being on Facebook, I got on Facebook to try to connect with him, and I got a hold of him. That was the weirdest thing, because I, you know, you couldn't have told me that that's where that route would have left. I started watching one police video. I go through 10 police videos. I get to one that makes me think of speed. I don't know why that was interesting at the time. Because Sandra Bullock is really hot in a wildcat. (laughs) Hey, that's as good a reason as any. Mm -hmm. But I and then I end up recognizing this guy, and it's it's literally, you know, just crazy for me to recognize him. And now I'm in touch with him. And and with any luck, I'll be able to get him to sit down with us uh, coming up soon. Right? Like it'll be great to be able to do that. I want to go back to football too. Let's 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 but, let's kind of. Well, I didn't ask you what was your weirdest. The YouTube same, rabbit the hole same exact thing. You recognize the guy. The from same the ex- no, but, <laughs> uh, no, but I, I kind of fell down the, the car chase rabbit hole. But the uh, little lane I seemed to veer into was the was the momos on crotch rockets that intentionally started shit with police. A chase begins. And then something really bad happens to them. I just think of it as social dark. Well, no, 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 it's dead. But I just think of it as social Darwinism. 
Okay. Like, you know, you, you know, guy in a Jixer 1000 is intentionally driving around like a jerk, trying to get attention because he knows there's no way in hell a police cruiser will keep up with a leader sport bike. And then, you know, starts trying to get away, winds up taking like a big sweeping turn, rear wheel hits like a patch of loose uh, dirt, and then he just low sides it. He's caught. Oh, my God. Yes, stuff like that. Or you know, right. running, or <laughs> running from the police. I mean, if you're going like 90 and your rear wheels hit dirt and you're already bent over like a 45-degree angle, you're, you're basically screwed. I'm glad he got caught. I, I would assume. I don't ride. That's the best part, um, though, right? Seeing him get caught? Yeah, I, mean, I love that. It's the best part. Someone does um, the exact same thing, but it's in a more urban area, and another car pulls out in front of them, and they wind up going, hitting that car and going over the hood. Yeah, no sympathy. <laughs> stupid games win stupid prizes. What industry do you work in again? Auto insurance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, honestly, that, that's honestly why horrible drivers don't really bother me, is because... You know, Job some security. People, some, yes, some people get cut off. They get upset. They get mad. I kind of just let it go because I realize as long as people like that are out in the world, I'm going to have a job. Oh, man, that's fair. And I think a lot of you would think like that. You know, um, interesting that you bring up. I want to I wanna keep on the motorcycles for a second. Um, I want to ask you a question. I know that you, if the Vikings aren't doing good, you're not interested in football. So you're not interested in football this year because the Vikings Look, aren't I mean, doing good. We're living life in the pandy. I got enough anxiety and depression going on right now. I don't need those fuckers adding to it, okay? Thank you, Andrew Santino, for the pandy. I love the pandy. I like calling it the pandy. Mm-hmm. I don't like the other terms, the quar, or whatever other people call it. I like pandy. Pandy works. Pandy you deflates know, I, it a little bit. You know, I'm okay with quar because it makes me think of guar, and that's okay. Uh, I still like pandy better, but, Rest you in know, peace, Odorous Arungus. So, I mean, football's been nuts. Games getting canceled. Players getting... You know, testing positive and we're having not get, to sit we're out. Not, we are not getting to week nine. Calling it now. Hot take. Lock it in. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't probably maybe not. It may, probably not. But the rescheduling of games has been erratic. Do you think they're gonna? Do you think this is gonna change? Like this will be a pivotal moment where football is never the same again. Like it used to be Thursday, Sunday, Monday, and now I think this is gonna make an argument for it to be more like baseball. You're going to have Thursday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. In a you think they're going to change that? In a perfect world, I think they ought to get rid of the Thursday night game. Oh, man, that's a crazy hot take. I had play, to ask. Play, I had to ask. Play, player safety. Listen, I think if, if you really if you play, if you play, I, 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 I'm just talking like physical safety in general. If we didn't have the coronavirus fucking everything up right now, someone that plays on a Sunday and doesn't have a whole lot of time to recover before they got to take the field again on a Thursday. Well, that sucks for them. Yeah. I mean, it's just been, it's just when you have that kind of lack of consistency, it may, it, it sort of makes everything feel worse again, though, to kind of wrap up my thing about COVID and how I feel about reality when it's affecting football, college and pro, I think we're at a place now where at least we can all agree. I don't think there's very many people saying it's fake anymore. I don't think there's many people saying it's a hoax anymore. I think it's it's real. We know it's real, and now we're trying to deal with it. 
albeit late. But at least we're all on the same page, and I'm going to leave that there. Now, going back to your police chase with the Jixer, is that what you called it? Yeah, Suzuki GSXR Jixer. Interesting that you kind of bring that up because uh, our guest, who we're going to have here in just a moment, um, and we've already pre-recorded the interview, and I think I can say it's a really good interview. And this is something that I like pre-recording it too. I do too. I like being able to reference it, but the Jixer reference is going to come up again. Um, We're going to be talking to one of my oldest friends and somebody I have a ton of respect for somebody who uh, you're going to hear about. I've never known anybody who was just the gung ho American that would go and enlist and not only just enlist, but, straight up say i want infantry at a time i mean when what 2006 is what he said i, I mean i want to say it was more like 2004 i think it was when we might have been first going going yeah, into iraq you're right i think it is 2004 and you know we're going to be talking to to uh second lieutenant doyle Timberlake. An thank you for putting some, thank you for putting some respect on his name, by the way. I'm Who's putting that respect on the name. I, I can't just call him Doyle or Dizzle anymore. That's always what I called him, Dizzle. And we go way back. We've been friends for um man, God, almost what seventeen years now. You've known him longer than you've known me. I have. Yeah. I mean, we all friends. We're all friends. We all have a lot of conversions. You'll hear a lot about it, but you know. Second Lieutenant Doyle Timberlake. Uh, the first bike I remember him seeing was a gold and black Jixer 1000. Didn't didn't he say 1000? Yeah, leader bike. Yeah, I mean leader uh, cola. He is an interesting guy. Um, he represents a lot of what I think is best about uh, the men in, in uniform, men and women in uniform. Uh, he's funny. He's interesting. He's got an interesting collection of things. I, I really hope that you enjoy the time that we spent with him. Uh, we did end up going pretty long on this, and it's going to be more than likely broken up into two parts. You're going to get part one now, and then second part will be on the very next episode. And I, I really enjoyed it. Brando, I mean, what did you? What was your hot take coming away from talking to Doyle? It's still really hard to believe that the pot-smoking... 17-year-old mall rat we knew. Is a <laughs> that was Eloid. That was Eloid. <laughs> yes, that was Eloid. That was Eloid. Was a, uh, is, is now a second lieutenant in the Air Force. Yeah, I, 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 and that's an interesting story. To This is a guy who has basically, been a career... J, basically, yeah, Jay and Silent Bob. Jay is now an Air Force officer. That's a really good way to describe it. And and, and for him, to, you know, it's important to, to note here the things that make him amazing. He made that decision unsolicited, went for this, joined the army, went directly for infantry, got shipped to Afghanistan, spent 18 months stealing and and seeing things that I know nothing about, came back, and his uh, his demeanor, his disposition, his his the fact that he has been able to put it all past the things that he's seen and, and what he's had to deal with behind him and have a successful life and marriage and family, and then be able to make amazing, wise, 
decisions, move to the Air Force, and then get accepted into officer's school and OCS. come out of it. Mm-hmm. OCS. Uh, it's just an amazing person, and, and that, these are the kind of people that I, I'm fascinated with, and I'm I'm really happy that he could sit down with us, and I hope you enjoy it. I, I, please enjoy our interview with uh, Second Lieutenant Doyle Timberlake. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Redrum, all things horror from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry, the killer's behind you. This is Brevity Box. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome back to Brevity Box. We are here with our guest in episode two, uh, Doyle Timberlake. Do I have to call you officer now? I mean, I know we've been friends for a long time, but like, how, what's the proper way to address you, Doyle? I mean, uh, you address so, him by his rank. Yeah. So lay it are on you, us, uh, So uh, okay. So you uh, you just asked me a question, and I thought of three different questions in my head for clarification. Lay them out. Um, so when you ask me what's the proper way to address me, my first thought is you're addressing me in that question. So you, Charlie, could probably just call me like, you know, asshole, you know, like, my, <laughs> like my wife does. <laughs> and asshole. that wouldn't, that wouldn't be improper. Uh, no, if we were to talk about the military, uh, it would either be sir or by current rank, which would be second lieutenant. You could just say, uh, you know, hey, lieutenant or LT for short. I wouldn't get upset if, I mean, that's pretty common. Lieutenants are called, hey, LT. So once you receive that officer, like, what, to explain that to me. Okay, so let's, let's, let's back up. Let's back up. Let's back up. No, yeah, right. let's back up because I think that because Doyle once worked for you part-time, you used to have to address him by rank for everything he had to put up with. <laughs> I have to call him second Lieutenant Timberlake from here on out. Okay. Only for two years. Yeah. <laughs> That's assuming I make first lieutenant in two years. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Well, Doyle, uh, to anybody who, uh, you know, I'm sure they're going to hear a description after that the first part of the show. But, you know, I wanted to have you here um, as a guest, man, not because only that we're friends, but and we all know each other. You know, well, I'm sure everybody will be aware of that by the time the uh, interview gets started. But. I'm sort of uh, been a fan. I'm not just your friend, right? I've been a fan. I've been a friend of yours for a long time. We're close friends. And I've seen you sort of um, go through these different machinations of your development into the man that you are. And it's interesting, you know, and you're a, you're an honest guy. You've, you've done things that I find, um, intriguing fascinating right and it's easy to kind of narrow everything down to uh i met him when he was what 17 or 16 16 it would have been 16 because i don't think 
Yeah, I was working at Old Navy, so I was definitely 16. I don't think I knew you. I mean, I was shopping at GameStop when I was 15, but I don't know if you were there yet. Yeah, so once upon a time, I was a manager of a GameStop store, and Doyle as a, uh, I'm sorry, second lieutenant Timberlake was a a customer uh, that was coming to buy games, and uh, Brando and I... Uh, both knew him at that we met him at that point in time and there's a lot of cool stories there i'm sure we're going to touch on some of them but you you've gone from that spot to volunteering infantry uh which we're going to talk about that because that already seems wacky and uh then you're gone to afghanistan You've seen some real shit. Yeah, a you, long time ago. It seems like a long time ago, but compared to somebody who's never been to Afghanistan and seen some shit, it seems pretty recent. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just to give you some perspective. Uh, and then, you know, you you, you come back, you, um, I mean, clearly, you know, you, you've finished your education and something that's not easy to achieve, which, what's the clear... What's your degree in just computer science? Yes. Or is yeah. there a specialization? No, just a bachelor's of computer science. So you get a bachelor's in computer science, you get married, you have kids, you buy a home in Arizona, you move from Arizona to Kansas City, you uh working for a couple of different companies, and then you make the transition from Army to Air Force, and then in a rather, like, from what I understand, a little prestigious moment, you get accepted into officer school, which you've already gone to and completed. So, you know, this is a lot. And how old are you? I mean, what, at this point, you're 34. 34, yes. Okay. So, you know, in, in a 17 years, you have gone from being the kid who spoke haphazardly no matter what and would have a good time driving around his beat-up-ass Dodge pickup truck and running it into uh, trash cans and stuff in the parking shopping lot. Shopping carts, right? It was shopping, shopping carts. carts. That's right, shopping carts. <laughs> I would still probably do that if I had a beater truck because it is extraordinarily satisfying. Well, at least I remember it being extraordinarily satisfying. I'm not sure what you remember. I mean, I know you were there I, for a couple listen, of I, as a as a person who owns a old beater truck, also blue, by the way, uh, I have to say you may be like the single greatest influence on me having a work truck like that just because of those same reasons. <laughs> it was the perfect vehicle. And I still very fine. I don't think I've uh, gone without having some truck like that old Dodge of yours. I've always had one that I use for whatever, right? So, uh, but that's digressing from a lot. Look, I I wanted you here, man, because I I don't know. I know everybody probably knows someone that's either had a piece of that kind of life that you've led, or I don't think anybody knows someone that's had all of that, or at least very few. And uh, and I thought it would be worth having a you know a good discussion and so like a lot of what we do here is we're just trying to we're trying to have those kind of conversations we normally have on the phone anyway 
And because we're friends and we know each other really well, those conversations take on a different dynamic, right? They're not as, um, uh, they don't, they're not between two strangers or three strangers in this case. So, um, so that's why you're here, man. And, and thank you for, thank you for jumping on with us and taking the time. Uh, the honor and gratitude comes from me because I'm flattered. Yeah, well, you know, you should be. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's let's kind of start at the beginning, man. Um, my memories of you were this like lanky kid, and I I, I always tell people when I tell the story of of how I've met you or how I know you, I don't really give them the the long uh, series of interactions that we had where you would come into the store and it would start off. We would talk about games, but you would hang out and we would joke and we would laugh. And, and, th- and I'm going to ask you about that. Uh, I always, I always go back to the stories of, of where you got sort of, uh, you can't come into the store. Now we don't need to cover that. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to you, but like, why don't you, why don't we start there, man? I mean, like what, how do you go? I mean, what are your memories of yourself like back then in high school in Tucson? Could you have seen yourself now? Like, what do you, what do you think? 17 year old Doyle would think of 34 year old Doyle. Um, you know, I actually don't have like a witty quip for that, but I, you did make <laughs> me think just a minute ago about like how I was coming into GameStop. I was hanging out and, uh, you know, I would just spend my off time there and I'm like, I still do the exact same thing, but now it's a liquor store instead of game video games. <laughs> uh, going, going back to your question, uh, what would 17 year old Doyle think of 34 year old Doyle? Um, I don't know, honestly, when I'm trying to think, I want to say he might look at somebody like, hey, there's a guy who's organized and knows what he's doing with his life and he's got his stuff together, so good for him. But I feel like that thought is motivated by me now, um, not where I would be when I was 17. Honestly, like, uh, if if I were a 17-year-old to see a 34-year-old who had done everything that you just described, which sounds um, a lot more grander in your terms than it has been living it, I suppose. But we're not you, talking about a 34-year-old, right? We're talking about like a literal uh, back to the future paradox moment. You poof into, you know, 2003 or 2004 Tucson uh, mall. And uh, just right there, you know it's you. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to have an answer. You could say just I don't know or maybe I wouldn't give a shit. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Other than maybe I'd be like, get that vasectomy sooner than later. You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, Doyle, I just, I remember so many things. I see, I see you now and I think about who you were then and the things that I think about, man, are, and I won't go too sentimental here, obviously, but, you know, I remember, I feel lucky that I got to meet your father. And I think that one of the questions I want to ask you about and what I was trying to get to with you going back there and sort of a, uh, a thought experiment is, you know, a lot of these things from conversations when we, we had when you were 20 or 24, we would talk about the influence of your father, right? We would talk about 
kind of where you were as a person and, and you having to kind of um, carve out what kind of man you were going to end up being just based on those things that you remembered from time spent. Do you feel like, uh, like, take a minute, man. I mean, do you, we talked about your dad before. I mean, what do you think, where do you think he's, uh, you know, if you believe in heaven and you believe in God, then what do you think he's thinking right now? Looking at 34 year old you. Uh, so I've actually, it's funny. I've thought about this a lot and I would classify myself is I think probably the most accurate way to describe any sort of religious subscription I might have would be agnostic. I wouldn't say 100%. Uh, but I do like to kind of think that sometimes when, you know, something kind of un- unseen or, you know, a little bit odd occurs that works out in my favor, I'm like, and I think my dad's still maybe helping me out or doing something. You know, maybe that's a little weird, maybe not. No, but I, I think my dad would actually be pretty proud. Um, and I do... Uh, you know, a thought occurs to me, something I've ever gotten is I remember when I was 16, 17 years old, I remember you, Charlie, telling me your dad is the single greatest influence or factor. I don't remember the exact word you said verbatim, but you told me my dad was going to be the single greatest influence to who I was going to be. And you said, you don't understand that right now, but you will one day. And you, you were exactly correct. I mean, 100%, because I remember at the time, like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what he means. Like, I understand the words he's saying, but I didn't really have an actual understanding of of meaning. And then I I can't tell you when that understanding came. It it was prior to today. It was some point, probably the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, yeah. 15 is probably cutting it too early. It was probably, let's say 10 to 12 years. Let's say okay. 10 to 12 years. But at some point, I did have that epiphany, and I never forgot that conversation. Like, oh, Charlie was exactly fucking right. Just like my dad. Everything my dad ever told me turned out to be, well, shit, if I just listened to my dad, I would have been better off. Do you, do you think that that's, has that come into play in some of the decisions you've made? Maybe not all of them. I'm not, I'm not I mean, you know. Uh, not without, not consciously. Not consciously. Do you feel looking back that it has? Like when, because you know I'm going to ask you. I know everybody's asked you about um, why you enlisted for infantry. But do you feel like looking back on it, you're that had you feel like there's some reflection on that that came from your father too? If you want to say specifically to the infantry, then no. But if you want to talk about joining the military, then yes. Okay, we'll get there. That's that's still too serious. I want to go back to when you were a, a dumb kid. That's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there's so many good him. dumb kid Doyle stories, but I don't know if we could tell them for his sake. Yeah, I mean, I mean look, I, I kind of I mean, don't, don't want to throw him into the pit, right? I don't want to throw him to the wolves in, in that. We don't sense. want to do that to Lieutenant. Know. We don't want to do that to Second Lieutenant Timberlake. You, you don't want to jump straight into the Matrix story. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, if I go into the Matrix story, I'm afraid that first. That that first class, <laughs> that, that first lieutenant's not not gonna be as easily attainable. There's gonna be some some deciding uh, official that's gonna be like, you know, I've just taken up listening to podcasts, <laughs> and I happen to I happen to cross this brevity box, and uh, you know, I got and, and what a chance that it has like two subscribers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey listener, hi listener, thank you for tuning in. 
So, uh, yeah, you are officially dismissed from service. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't like your kind around here. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it, it's it's an interesting thing because for me, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'll tell these stories and you can edit me if you want. I'll, I'll tell them in a, in a, in a nice way. So, uh, you know, the funniest story I have and kind of where I think in a weird way for me looking back we were friendly, but I think our friendship started the day that you walk into the software, et cetera, that I'm a manager at. And like any 17-year-old kid, you're not paying attention to the fact that there are other people in the store listening to things that are being said. And with complete excitement, you look at me and go, man, I heard, I didn't know you smoked weed. <laughs> and you were just so giddy and silly about it and i was like enraged because <laughs> i i wouldn't share that i didn't go around wearing that on my sleeve you know and i mean i saw the customers around you just sort of look at me and i was like uh and immediately was like what the fuck are you doing like i was so offended and probably way too sensitive about it you uh, uh, you left out the second half of that statement <laughs> hey, trying to be nice. <laughs> we could have been hanging out months ago. We could have been hanging out months ago, man. <laughs> Which, of course, I know that the people around me are like, is that young adult male hanging out and smoking drugs with kids? <laughs> I think you had a backpack on. Like, you seriously looked like a kid came out of high school and said, hey, man. Know where I can get some good swag, you know? And I was supposed to be like putting it inside a GTA box and sliding it over to you or something. Like it really just felt so uncomfortable. Now, what did I do as a reaction, Doyle? You tell them. Uh, you said you looked at me with a half smile, spark, half pissed off. Uh, Doyle, go ahead and get the fuck out of my store. <laughs> And I look, and I love that quality about you, and I think it's because it's something that I would totally do. And um, But I do think our friendship sort of started there, right? I did. I kicked you out of the store, and I, like said, you're not allowed to come in one year. <laughs> like, I remember that. And I don't dude, remember you saying a year, but I will thank oh, you I, now retroactively for not sticking to a full year. I couldn't. No way. And and to your to your like it speaks to your character and kind of who you are that you totally disregarded that I was irritated that anything wrong happened and you kept showing up, hanging out at the front of the store, not coming in and be like, hey man, what's going on? And we would just BS and talk. And then there were times where you would we would be handing out promos and flyers and you'd be like, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'll just hand these out and I'd give them to you and say, give one to everybody that walks in the store. <laughs> you know. And, you became the de facto employee because you were always there. And uh and eventually I just I just liked you too damn much and uh we had to hire you. Yeah, you know? it was funny that the interview process you made me go through. Like I, I went and bought new shoes for this you finally told me one day, you're like, Come in for an interview and like I actually dressed up in, you know, like business casual interview attire because I mean I was seventeen years old, all I had was a couple collared shirts and khakis and i went and bought shoes for this interview and all too big for you by the way you had broad <laughs> shoulders and like very like you were lean bro you were lean and lanky with broad shoulders and narrow hips 
it was just like you were clearly growing into your clothes. So when you showed up, everything was still a little baggy. Yes, you know, sort it's, of, well, part of that was York by design. <laughs> yes, when I was in high school, I did enjoy wearing clothes that were probably about two to three sizes too big. And funny story is, a lot of those urban wear sweatsuits that I would wear when I had the, the hoodie and the matching sweatpants, yeah. 17 years later, still got them, still wear them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just fit better now, right? Uh, you know, some of them are still a little too big. <laughs> <laughs> Good planning. Good planning. Still yeah, so I come in for this interview at GameStop, Software, etc. And uh, you tell me, you're like, why do you want to work here? So I, I remember I start to try to give you some, like, actual like interview answer like some other kid who really wanted to work at the video game store what do i gotta say to get this job here because i didn't i wasn't actually taking the interview for granted i didn't think the job was guaranteed i I do remember that i wanted to take it very seriously and then i think i got about six words into some sentence and you stopped me and you're like no 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 like tell me why you want to work here and i was just like okay i was like I don't I don't even remember what I said, but I remember I just started talking to you just like we normally do. And I think you kind of, I don't know, messed around with me for about 10 to 15 minutes. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to hire you. Yeah, I totally knew I was going to hire you when you walked in the door. Uh, so when you you gave me a few words and then I kept pressing you to to that, I didn't I basically wanted to let you know I didn't want the I didn't want the catered answer. Like, I wanted to know what, like, why you basically kept coming around and hanging out. And you gave me an honest answer. We kept talking and chatting, but you're, you're, you got it right. At some point you got it and you were like, because it's fucking cool here and I like hanging out. And it's, you know, and we just got to where it was clear you enjoyed being around people. We were already friends and, you know, we're both enjoy games. We still enjoy games. We'll definitely talk about that. Um. But, you know, I liked having people that I could be straightforward with around me to this day, regardless of what it is. It was a, it was funny, though, right? I mean, that was the – I remember you showing up looking sharp. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is going to be fun. Uh, it was a great interview. And you, you ended up working for GameStop, I guess, longer than I did after that, right? You, you were well, there. I mean, I don't – I don't know, total time, I don't know if you can say longer, but I worked there past when you left the company, yes. Yes, 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 yes. And I mean, I I just, you know, from from your first, so we're going to talk about some, we're not going to get too much into your girlfriends, but at the time, you were dating, who, when you we were still in, before you, right before you go away to Afghanistan. Before I leave for Afghanistan? Yeah. Like you were, I think you weren't in a serious laser. You were messing around a little bit. And I remember we would talk about different girls, different things. And the first serious laser, was that after Afghanistan that you got in? Yeah, you just jumped ahead like four years. Okay. So fill me in. Get your shit together, Langley. Come on. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be talking to Doyle. Because, um... I mean, during the time we, we jumped ahead because that time that we were working at GameStop, it's, I mean, did anything crazy eventful happen while we were working there? Matrix story. The Matrix story. Which we can't talk about, right? We can. It's up to you. <laughs> Allegedly, there was a Matrix story. 
allegedly there's a matrix story so yeah look okay, let's just if say anybody, if anybody's interested the matrix 2 whatever the hell it was called came out we were all really excited we wanted to go see it one morning we found someone from a different store to open up and work ours we went to the movie nothing happened end of story yep that's exactly what happened uncomfortable exactly. silence that's exactly <laughs> we all sat what... there we all sat there stiff faced with the arms with our arms on our armrests and stared at the movie and never blinked. Never ever. The big never, controversy ever. the big controversy was that movie sucked in hindsight. Uh you know, from what, what we saw of it, uh it wasn't as satisfying, sure. And there was some whack job that was just barfing all over the bathroom. You couldn't use any of the stalls. There was like some odd Xeno Saga t-shirt that was covered in grossness that was, I think, still in the bathroom when we left. And then was that the same had... dude that puked on your now brother-in-law? He almost puked. He actually a little bit on the leg. Like he, I think that guy tried to aim his vomit into a cup, but missed the cup and just went right down my brother-in-law's leg. And uh, and this is a opening day for Matrix Reloaded, right? Was it reloaded? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the second yeah. one. And uh, we were excited to see it. And we were really looking forward to it. And, you know, I, there were, you were there with a lot of people. And this unnamed person was there with us who was so, so adamant that they were a baller and could smoke uh, marijuana. Like, uh, just a, like 50 cent. <laughs> Turns out that wasn't the case. Turns out when you're not ready and you roll deep, Bad things happen, <laughs> like bathrooms getting towed up, shirts getting destroyed, and then that poor soul ended up being woken up by security because he was laying in the cab of his um, vehicle. <laughs> I think it was just a random firefighter. Oh, it was a random but firefighter. Yeah, he was definitely like passed out in like 110 degree heat in his truck, just sleeping. Poor guy. Poor guy. Glad that wasn't you. Uh, you know, me too. Yeah, I, uh, but jerks love from, from what I remember, though, that dude, uh, Iliad, I think was his name, right? Iliad, yeah, Iliad, yeah, it. he, uh, I tell you, man, he hit that blunt like it was impressive to watch him smoke that blunt. Let me tell you, I still remember this story because I remember I, I will roll, uh, uh, back in those days, I would roll a joint that was about as thick as a cigarette and. I, you know, I'm pretty, I'm not a heavy roll, but I smoke a little and then I'm ready to go watch the movie. No big deal. And I remember this guy being like, don't tell me how to smoke this. I know what the hell I'm doing. I was like, go easy, man. Did you say it was like $500 an ounce product too? (laughs) I was, it was very pricey. And I was just like, take it easy. You don't need, this is not like this. Take it easy. And this uh, unknown person <laughs> takes the biggest white wall. I mean, I swear, it, I just think I always refer to it as a snorkel because that's about how I felt it looked to me. And I, I just knew when like a white wall came out, I was like, oh boy, that's not good. And I, I think that's where guys like when you're young, your machismo comes out. Because I remember giving a second warning like, yo you're good and then that dude was like let me have it again (laughs) put the snorkel back in his mouth and went deep dive underwater and uh man 
explains a lot about the um, ruin that poor Zeno Saga T-shirt. I can't. I have Wasn't that dude wearing like three T-shirts. <laughs> so by, the, by the end of the day, he still had a clean T-shirt on. He still had one clean Zeno Saga T-shirt on. <laughs> That's totally true. Okay, but enough about him. We're talking about you. We don't need to talk about a totally different person anymore. We need to talk about you. Uh, and that that's four years. Okay, so let's get to that. That whole recovery took four years. And we get to a point where I have left GameStop and I have left, uh, you know, this not about me. I've gone into a totally different line of work. And what I remember, I remember working on your bedroom and I remember we were in there together at your house doing a, like a teardown remodel. And that's where you told me that you had enlisted. You were going in the infantry. You and I had become close friends. We worked a lot together. I liked working with you and scheduling you at the same time that I was working. And I just had never um, known someone to your attitude about it wasn't, you know, I know a lot of people would say things like, oh, he was gung-ho or he was, it wasn't like that. You know, you were genuinely almost like wonderlusty about it. Like you were, you seemed driven by curiosity, not, I don't know how else to explain that. Like you were so ca uh, casual about it. There wasn't an ounce of hesitation. It didn't seem like you had uh a lot of anxiety or preemptive fear you know and it was it was an interesting thing because i mean i was basically watching this uh i was I was watching you kind of put the boy behind you and aggressively direct yourself at becoming whatever you whatever kind of man you were going to become and it, and you had decided that it started there effectively right that and you kind of you didn't ask, you know what I mean? Like I, I think a lot of people I know would have, at least I would have, right? I know that knowing me, I probably would have called ten or twenty people and said, "Well, I'm thinking about doing this." What do you think? You, you didn't seem to have any of that, and so and it and it hit me as surprising because at the time, you weren't just, um, you know, I, it didn't surprise me. What surprised me was your attitude about it. So looking back on that, I mean, do you have a a different perspective? I mean, you've you've been a lifetime military, you know. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I just actually hit my 15 year anniversary three days ago on uh, Tuesday of this week. Congratulations! Congratulations! On Monday, on the fifth, on October fifth. Yeah. I, so yeah, I enlisted October fifth, two thousand five. Um. Yeah, I guess for lack of a better term, I was pretty nonchalant about it. I never really, I'd always kind of thought about joining the military as I had grown up. I never really gave it a whole lot of thought or prospect. Um, and then I, I met another guy. So before I, you know, I met you working at GameStop, where I also met you, Brando. And I met you guys at games working there at GameStop because I had another friend from high school named Eric Scheid, and I would be somewhat remiss if I didn't mention him. Probably won't talk about him, but he does have influence on this. 
he was a good friend of mine. He got me, he's the one who brought me to work at Old Navy with him. And if you remember in the Tucson Mall at the time, Old Navy was pretty much right beneath GameStop. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, so that's how I was a mall rat is what it was. Um, so I go to work at Old Navy when I'm 16. Uh, I meet this other guy who works there part-time. His name's Scott Kennedy. Uh, he's in the Army National Guard, prior active duty. Uh, he's in the infantry. Uh, so, And he is 23 years old at the time, I believe. Um, and when I was 17, I believe you were probably, what, 24, 25, 26, somewhere, Charlie? Yeah, I was around 25. Uh, um, so it's kind of interesting if you think about that where so for for whatever reason this 23 year old who's been in the army um or has already been to bosnia so he he joined the army in 1997 and he'd been to bosnia and now he just works part-time at old navy for something to to do when he's not doing the military thing so for whatever reason he takes a liking to me we become friends and he ultimately was the catalyst that pretty much kind of convinced me to join the army and to join the infantry, but it was something, I think I already had that predisposition because my dad was retired from the Air Force. Um, so it's kind of interesting you think about that. So 16 years old, Old Navy, make friends with a 23-year-old. 17 years old, GameStop, make friends with a 25-year-old. Uh, maybe we can talk about that more later. It's just something I've always noticed about myself. I've always been friends with people, especially when I was younger. I was friends with people who were always old, and I think that those individuals, Charlie Langley, Scott Kennedy, they had a big impact on the decisions I ultimately ended up making in my life. So, to answer your question, what was I thinking when I enlisted? Well, I didn't know this about myself at the time. I can say, looking back, the way I've kind of approached everything in my life as it's come to me is okay well this is something different i haven't done it yet so let's go do it and see how it's and that's kind of how it's been so i'm like okay uh i think about that i'm like all right i joined the army saw how it is okay i like this the army said you're going to afghanistan i said i, I don't recall having any feelings or fear about going to afghanistan either like hey you're going to afghanistan Okay, well, let's go do this and see how it is. Yeah, that that was odd. I mean, look, I I got to tell you, I remember that. I remember, I remember just. I I don't know if I was jarred as much as I was fascinated about the fact that you you were casual. I mean, I remember you just saying, "Yeah, I'm gonna go," and that's. I mean, it just seemed so. I guess I would presume that other people might uh, have more consternation or or be um anything that would be recognizable as anxiety or fear you didn't have any of that you were truly more curious and willing to go forward and go into it and i always found that that admirable about you now to your point about becoming friends with with uh you know guys that were a couple of years or a few years older than you you know we've talked about this before and We've always kind of suggest, I mean, there's a lot there, but going back to your father, one of those things that you and I would, or that I would always find a, a, a correlation in between is parents who were older. Like your dad was, was, uh, 
My dad was 58 when I was born. And I'm 34 with a 10-year-old and 6-year-old and could not imagine having an infant when I was 58. And I have two older sisters. My oldest one being born when in when he would have been 84 or 54 so yeah i mean i've you know been trying to trade my kid for like firewood for years (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) why trade the kid just teach them to cut the firewood i mean basically the time they pop out you have indentured servants the point is not to get the firewood. The point is to get rid of what I'm trading away. <laughs> uh, like, so I'll take that, firewood. That makes more now, sense. But, but the, the, the older generation, because my, my mother wasn't 58. My mother was 35 when she had me. But I really, to this day, I think that, um, and I have older <laughs> siblings, and I really feel like my, um, I got the benefit of that, too. Right. I got the benefit of a parent with a like we were raised with a a different set of of tenants from an older generation. You know, I don't I don't know that I I really do think that has an influence. I think you and I have agreed on that in the past. I think that has a lot to do with with sort of your dad's pearls of wisdom still having gravity in what you're doing today. Right. He was more aware of those things. He could see he could see like a where the like if you you know the whole uh, analogy of dropping a pebble in water and seeing the ripples go he knew where those ripples were going to end up because of life experience yeah and that was one of the things he always tried to impress upon me which i didn't you know realize at the time when 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 it he he did successfully impress them upon me it was just another one of those things you don't realize until you know it's necessary is that he he would always preach to me, you've got to look at the big picture. Don't have tunnel vision. You've got to look at the big picture. Don't have tunnel vision. Well, he's right. I mean, he was he was so right in that moment. But so just to kind of get away, I want to make sure that it seems weird to me that people may not know this, but I want to iron out the timeline. So 2005, you enlist. Uh, you're going infantry. This is what? three and a half years or I guess would be four no it'd be three and a half years from roughly uh from the time the towers are attacked in New York uh that's still very much you know right about I would say it would be four years later so that was September 11 2001 I enlisted October 5th 2005 and do you feel like like how much of how much of you enlisting is thinking of that as a motivation? Like, did you have that, that patriotic sort of, I'm going to fight the bad guys and defend my country or was that sort of out of your head? And what was really going on was that, that thought that you had carried, like you're describing, you you had always thought about it, about joining the military and a lot of that being influenced from your father and the, uh, September 11th attacks in 2001, just you know they were there and certainly motivational, but they weren't they weren't why you did it or were they part of why you did it? So honestly, no, not at all. They had they had nothing to do with it. And okay, I mean take that however you want. That there's nothing negative. I don't think that's, I don't think that's anything. I don't think that's positive <clears throat> or negative. I, I just the honest answer there I think has 
I believe that too. Like I think you're, I know I got for you. You didn't answer that, and I were to answer projecting what I thought was true, I would think the same thing. Like I don't think I think you had your own reasons that existed and were more compelling um, personally than that event in history being the case. Now, of course, it did play a role, right? That's why you were in Afghanistan. Um, I, I don't, you know, I won't go too. Uh, there's so many questions that I think anybody who's never been in a wartime scenario or never seen those kinds of things or never been in that kind of environment and seen what those things do to you, I, I, I think it's equally, uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I personally over a couple of drinks, I'd love to ask you all those details, but for, for our purposes here, I think it's probably better for me to say that is there a way that you want to sum that experience up or can you say it with any kind of definition what you would point to as the impact that experience had on you like how did you what the man that you were the person the man that you were going to become before you left and the man that you were going to become after you came back what do you what would you put your hand on as far as the ingredients that were different because of what you experienced there i won't ask you to get into you know those details and like what you saw and what you experienced obviously i think people I've heard a lot of these stories and know it has to do with a lot of things that are uh, all over the place. But I'm more interested in how they they change your direction. And the reason I'm asking that is because, I, I mean, you're still very much the same person, right? There are things that are different. We've talked about them. What do you think motivates those changes and what do you think those things were that if, that you came back with? Um it really caused me to have to fine tune my laziness. Hmm. <laughs> Very interesting answer. It's an interesting answer. No, that's a good answer. So I, <clears throat> I think of myself inherently as, as an inherently lazy person. Um, I just, I love this mantra and you've heard me say it a thousand times, Charlie is, Hard work pays off in the long run, but laziness pays off right now. So true. It, it it's one of my favorite sayings. I I didn't make it up myself. I can't take credit for that. I don't know. I can't tell you where I read it. I probably saw it on a meme on Facebook a decade ago, or whatever the social media platform was, or the internet. You know, I don't know. Brent Fake news, Doyle. <laughs> Fake news. We invented it. Right now, right here, you just did it right there. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, it, you know, it's, it, it's a great phrase. It, it's a wonderful phrase. The best phrase. There, there, no one else has ever said a phrase like that. People a lot of people, a lot lot of people are telling phrase. me. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's a very big phrase. Very big phrase. Bigly. Um. So, so I can elaborate on that. What I mean is, somewhere in the army, probably the army the military because uh, I was in the army now I'm in the air force ingrained in me so I hate being late um, I cannot stand being late and it uh, thank you probably, it's so refreshing to hear someone else say that in my life probably one of my biggest pet peeves with my wife and that's all it is, is a pet peeve is that uh, she will make me late and it's kind of funny because if I think back to the years of driving Charlie around, which you yeah. also did, right, Brando? Absolutely. Just because he couldn't keep his keys in his pocket and had to throw them on his desk, 
I learned I paid my price, okay? Somebody took my damn car for a joyride. You did. I learned that lesson the hard way. Yeah, but yeah, I, mean, I, fault, I mean it's your fault for leaving your keys on the table, Charlie. Totally true. I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna lie, when I get to work in the morning, I throw my car keys in my desk, but the difference is my desk locks. But then you gotta have a key for your desk. It's on my lanyard. Yeah, in case anybody's uh, not figuring it out, there was a huge portion of time that I just really didn't care if I was um, late, and, on time. And it's funny, because that never used to bother me. And I don't care if you're late, Charlie, because that usually has no impact on my life. You got me to the airport in on time in Louisiana, and you picked me up on time. And I love you for that, so thank you. I'm on time now. <laughs> <laughs> it's lots changed, okay? But it took it took a, a it literally took a a, a a cataclysmic event in my life to make me go. Well, maybe I guess I just start being on time. <laughs> so, well, we're gonna touch on that another time. I'm I'm very <clears throat> serious now. Yeah. So so yeah, I don't like being late, and I don't like responsibility looming overhead. So what I will do is I will try to finish up all my responsibilities, it, whatever my tasks are that I have to take care of at that time, wherever I'm at at any given moment in my life. If I have a task that needs to be done, I like to do that task as efficiently as possible. And this is actually something I've been struggling with because I've actually been trying to teach myself to relax again. Um, sometimes I take that out on my kids or I expect the same of my kids, which is completely unfair because my kids don't have those life experiences, like you said, that I have. They haven't been through what I've been through. They don't see life the same way that I do. They're a completely different person. So that's that's another way I've been trying to improve myself. Uh, but just going back to answer your original question is it caused me to fine-tune my laziness. I have found ways to where I can complete my tasks efficiently um, without cutting corners, without, you know, um, sacrificing quality of work so then i can go be lazy so i can go sit back and drink my whiskey and read a book or play with the yo-yo go sit on my neighbor's porch and and bullshit with him just like we're talking about right now you know that so that that's where but, i say the drive is the laziness the drive is getting to a point where you can be yes, uninhibitedly I, lazy i work my ass off so i can be lazy yes yeah, without without anything looming over you. Like, you have an open window to just embellish that feeling. Yeah, and some of it may come back to, you know, reminiscing uh, or or ruminating about when we were <laughs> friends. Have a bell. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh, when we were friends, you know, at GameStop when you hired me. Because I remember, I think back to those days and... Yeah, I I was more or less broke because I was a high school kid who you know spent my paychecks on gas and video games. Yeah, I mean that's um, what all kids. We all you do. know, thank you, mom, if you're listening to this for for putting me up and you know, you know giving me room and board and putting up with me. Uh, so, but I had zero. We had zero responsibility. I mean, we had an hourly job at a retail store, and when we were off work, we had nothing else we had to do. Well, and this is look. This is a uh, this is part of my problem, right? I think when you when when I was working there, part of my issue was, I I could never take them 
as seriously as they wanted their employees to take their things, right? And I think that that always put me at odds with management is that I never I never subscribed to that um to my role, you know, I just kind of didn't look at it that way. But to be fair, when we had something to do, we got it done. If we needed to stay late or work hard, we did. You know, and then we would open up that bubble of time where we could lounge and play be more casual and play Tao Fang for five or six hours. Um, so you know, kind of moving on to that, man. I mean, you you did answer my question. It, you know, you're you it made you more efficient with your laziness. But so you you come back. Give me one second here. Yeah, you come back. You come home. You end up. Back, right into the University of Arizona, right? Um, yeah, so I actually started the application process from, Af- yeah, it's from Afghanistan. So I was sitting in the middle of Afghanistan, and I'm like, I think I'll go to college after this. And uh, so I applied for the University of Arizona, um, went through that whole process. That was, that was an interesting process from doing that uh, overseas in 2007. You know, doing some because the internet in 2007 isn't quite what it was or is. Sorry, in 2020, this so, is where we found old. I want to tell you because I've, I've made that statement before, and that's where I feel like like we're talking about telephones back in my day, 20 out seven. Well, the internet wasn't what it is now. Yeah, so I would get up at 3 a.m. and go make a phone call to the University of Arizona. Um, to or you know 2 a.m because actually where we were at in afghanistan i remember we were 12 and a half hours ahead so yeah i'd get up about you know anywhere between 1 and 3 a.m to go call the university and i finally got in contact with this one lady whose name i cannot remember and i should because she was awesome and i know i still have her name in my email but I finally got a hold of her and told her my situation. Said, "Hey, I've done this application. This is who I am. This is where I'm at in the world. This is what I'm dealing with." And then she's like, "Oh my God, I'm going to help you." Um, and she did everything she could. So basically, she, you know, kind of took my application under her wing. And I found out it's basically as soon as she saw that I was admitted to the university, approved. I got an email from her at my army email address at the time, which I could access pretty easily in Afghanistan. And so that was pretty awesome, right? Because uh, the letter in the mail that arrived at my mom's house, because that was my mailing address at the time, didn't show up for like, it was almost a month later. So it was kind of interesting to think about that. I'm like, okay, so how common was it in, you know, the the early... uh, years of 2000 to where how many people were admitted to universities and the process was done but it just took that long to get a notification to them out of mail so you think about that yeah. and then the internet now in 2020 and it's like now i still found out via the internet you know um so that's kind of what i mean so yeah i came back from afghanistan march march or no it would have been late march or early a, uh, early April, because I remember landing back in North Carolina on uh, the day before Easter Sunday in 2008. So we could look up that date and see exactly when it was. 
that's when I landed back in the United States. Um, and, and you yeah. were on an 18 month deployment, right? Was it 18 months? Uh, I was total was about close to 16 months. I had orders for 18 months for, I had orders for 565 days. Um, and yeah, we left on January 3rd, 2007. And then I just said we got back the day before Easter 2008. So, okay. So in a way you have answered my question, but in one aspect, maybe I'd like to kind of see if you can keep going on it. You know, we're clearly, Af- clearly Afghanistan and your experience there is going to, is impacting. What? Maybe this is a better question. What did you learn about yourself there that you don't think you could have learned had you not gone? Ooh, that's a question you never asked, Charlie. I'm not sure I know how to actually answer that because I can't. I don't have an answer off the top but of my something. head. It, but something. But but some. But definitely something of 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 weight, right? So there's some gravity there. Because you know you you came back. I think I don't know. How to, I I mean, don't know. You, definitely, probably... you definitely have more conviction, and and I don't want to say confidence. I think confidence is a misleading word. I, I, conviction, I think, fits better. I just I remember you. You know, it's like you said you you did become much more project oriented. I know you got right into school. Uh, that I like to think of that the time of you meeting Mona as being like a really like James Cameron-y movie montage kind of thing, because here's this chick on a crotch rocket motorcycle, and you've got a, like a, what what were you, was it black and gold? It was black, oh, I missed it, that bike. Yes, it was a 2008 uh, Suzuki Jictor 1000, black and gold. Ooh. Uh, a funny guy that, funny, funny story, I was just talking about my, that bike the other day at the Suzuki shop here in Kansas City. He's like, yeah, we like to call them the Rolos. <laughs> the roll <laughs> for the candy. Oh, oh, because oh, black and gold Rolo. <laughs> I love Rolos. I don't like caramel. No, I just remember that bike. I just remember it being. Uh, I I can't put my finger on it exactly, but I knew there had been some sort of some sort of impacting thing. I mean, I, I, again, I don't want to get into too many of those stories. I think a lot of people can assume. I don't want to go down a... a I mean, I can tell you the story crap, about but... how I stalked my wife in college, if you want to know. Yeah, I was... I was yeah, okay. I mean, we knew... We, we were getting on that, right? So... Well, I mean, she married you, so that. it can't you... be that bad of a story. Let's hear it. Well, but, so here's the thing, though. Just to kind of get us there, right? He he goes... You know, I from my point of view, it was one day him telling me and and again i'm i'm an older person to this kid at the time young man he tells me with um sort of pardon the use of the word naive but naive certainty is how it came off to me oh i was definitely you know? naive <laughs> and so it just it just seemed an odd combination of of things that you were presenting and then you were gone like gone to basic gone to Afghanistan and then um you came back and and you know clearly the same person you're still the same person now but it was almost like you had gotten in that short period of time what I think 
a lot of people spend years trying to figure out about themselves or about what they want out of life or um, just on how to how to work what the talents and the tools that they have you came back with a lot more of that skill set from my interpretation and that's what i think led to this whole thing right like i'm not sure if you had not gone and you still had the motorcycle and you're still going to u of a i'm not sure that same guy not only am i not sure that you go after uh your wife like you did and i want to hear that story or if even if you did if you would have been the kind of guy who would have succeeded you know there was something different there and maybe we won't get to it in this particular cast but something for you to think about is that question you know for the future when you know what was it that you learned about yourself there that you think you wouldn't have learned about yourself otherwise had you not gone we can save that one for later now we're going to move on to hot chick on a racing motorcycle go yeah okay so this is one of my favorite stories to tell um aside from hearing you tell the matrix story so let's see uh yeah i'm going to college i'm in my second semester i believe riding my motorcycle um to to college because their university of arizona being an outdoor oriented campus uh parking like i imagine most universities but i don't know you know six hundred dollars a year with a two-year waiting list to get a parking permit for premium parking or for a garage uh motorcycle parking permit 140 bucks a year no wait motorcycle parking everywhere so i'm riding my bike to college uh one day i'm running late to class i'm stuck uh southbound on park street uh, if I got the name right, Park does run north and south. Is that correct? Does that, anybody so. remember? Is that right, Brando? That's correct. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm heading south on Park Street towards Sixth. Um, and I'm not going all the way to Sixth. I'm going to stop at the next the next street north of where the football stadium is. Is that Cherry? I, I guess the street names are irrelevant, so that doesn't matter. Yeah, most people aren't going to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you know, know there's a football stadium. They know there's two people on motorcycles. Weird how my brain works. Like I told you earlier, I know exactly that my orders were cut for Afghanistan for 545 days. But, you know, weird weird things like that. So either way, there's this motorcycle. Um, so traffic at the U of A gets really shitty about 8 or 9 in the morning. And so, like I said, I'm normally there early, but I'm late to class. So I'm in gridlock traffic going through two stop signs uh i don't know what traffic is like now that's what time uh there's this motorcycle in a parking lot on my right that needs to get in uh motorcycles are usually cool to other motorcycles on the road so i let this i let this other motorcycle in and because of the nature of the traffic i'm behind this other bike for about 12 13 minutes or so and we end up going to the same motorcycle parking um we park in the same spot and I park, and I get off my bike, I'm taking the helmet off, I'm going to business. I look over, that other bike's doing the same thing, but all of a sudden I'm like, that's a fucking chick on a crotch rocket. Whoa, ho, ho, I was like, magic. and she's fucking hot. <laughs> and that that's all I thought about it. I was, just, I was just surprised to see a female at the time on a crotch rocket 
uh, because there were a lot of females who rode scooters at the university at the time. This was the first one I had seen in about a year. I'd been going there for about a year at this point. First female I'd seen on a crotch rocket. Uh, I think I had maybe seen some other chicks on cruisers, but this was the first one on a crotch rocket. How many times can I say crotch rocket? So, fast forward a few weeks later, I am in between classes on a, I think I got a two or three hour break in between classes on one or two days of the week. I am in the Spanish department trying to track down uh, one of my instructors from the previous semester. Because I was trying, I had emailed them and we were talking via email. They didn't have an office at that time because they were switching offices or something. I don't remember. Um, so I was trying to track down this instructor to go talk to them about something. So I'm in the Spanish department, the U of A, and in walks the same girl that I had just seen this crotch rocket, which happened to be a red Honda, a red Honda CBR 600 for a couple weeks earlier. And the first thought that goes through my mind is I was like, that's that chick was on that red Honda. So we were both carrying our helmets and kind of one of the things that was common, at least in Tucson at the time, was if you walk by uh, somebody else carrying a motorcycle helmet, like I said, you're going to, you know, kind of take a moment to stop and be cool. And you're going to say, hey, what's up? What kind of bike do you ride? Probably introduce yourself. You know, you're going to chit chat for a couple of minutes and then you're going to move on with your life. Um, maybe you make a new friend. Maybe, you, you know, just talk to somebody and make an acquaintance. So I'm sitting here, I'm going through all these things in my mind, and I'm like, okay, I should ask this girl what kind of bike she rides, talk to her, but I already know what kind of bike she rides, but she doesn't know that. So so this is kind of giving you a little bit of insight into how does Yo, my brain flirt. How does my brain work now after Afghanistan, as you so eloquently put it, Charlie? Is I'm Pope. running I, <laughs> I'm running down this list of all these things unnecessarily, is that and then before, as as I'm contemplating this, before I even realized it happened, she's standing in front of me saying, hey, what kind of bike do you want? <laughs> 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 Asked me the exact question. So I just nice. answered her. And uh, we talked very, very briefly there. Um, I asked, so then I just reciprocated. I answered a question. I was like, oh, I ride a Dixon 1000. What do you have? And she's like, oh, I ride a, a Honda CBR. And, I, and then... I, I, without even thinking, just say, just like a six-year-old would, like, is it red? And she's like, yeah. I was like, I don't know why I said that. It was a reflex. I already knew her bike was red. Yeah. Um, you were letting her know, man. You were letting her know. I know yeah. what bike you got. <laughs> so it, it, there, there's a funnier coincidence attached to that particular motorcycle, which we can touch on later if necessary. So, like I said, we talk very briefly. She kind of just starts walking away. Like, we, we exchange our pleasantries, and we told each other what kind of bike we ride. And then, like I said, sometimes you just make a wait. So she just kind of starts walking away. And I'm like, uh, I oh. got to tell you something. Pause. Okay. She starts walking away, and the first thing I'm thinking about is when, like, sport fishermen are going after big game, and they know they got their hook in. But then they first thing they do is give that line some slack. You know, they gave us some slack. They gave us some slack. They're not going to start reeling right away, right? She starts walking away because she knows she got that hook in there, right? You know, that's an interesting perspective I've never considered, but I imagine you are correct because it will will become relevant as I tell the rest of the story. 
Um, and and I I overtell this story because, like I said, it's one of my favorites. So so she's walking away. I'm like, oh, you going this way? And she's like, yeah. So I'll walk with you. So like we walk out like up a set of steps. I think you know just another like like thirty to forty seconds of idle banter, and then she just keeps walking. And she's like, I was just and like she just kind of walks away from me. And I'm like, okay, well, bye. And and that was it. And I walked away. So it was like I said, didn't get her name. Didn't didn't did yeah, didn't get her name, didn't give her my name, you know, just nothing. All we did was tell each other what kind of bike we had. That that was it. That's all you needed, right? I mean that's all well, you needed. So again, I mentioned previously I had a couple hours until my next class. So I was like Oh boy. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go see if she happened to be parked in that same lot. So I walk over to that same spot where I parked next to her a couple weeks prior, and there's her bike sitting right there, right in front of me. I'm like, well, okay, now what am I going to do? I'm like, I could leave a note on her bike. I was like, and she might think I'm creepy, but... That's, that's, a, that's a total creeper move. You can't do that. Yeah. Well, total, so total creeper move. Again, as I previously said, I'm sitting here going through all these questions in my head. I'm like, I could leave a note on her bike, uh, but that might be creepy because I'm where her bike is parked. I was like, but she did tell me what kind of bike she rode, but she didn't tell me where she parked. So I'm going through all these things, and I finally was like, all right, fuck it. I got nothing to lose. I don't know this girl. I was like, if I leave my number on her bike, she texts me, cool. If she doesn't, I'm in no different position than I am now, right? I would have done the same thing. So yeah, I, I leave my note. I, I leave a note on her bike, said, hey, my name's Doyle. Um, I met you earlier. If you ever want to go riding, give me a call. And so I, I couldn't tell you what day of the week this was. I don't remember, but it was it was sometime the next week. I get this random text message from a number that's like, "Yeah, I remember the words of the text message. It said, "Yeah, I felt really rude. My name's Mona, and we can go riding sometime." And I'm like, "Who the fuck is this? What? What is this a wrong number? What is this?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh shit." You know, it takes a minute or two for the light bulb to kick in. I'm like, that's that girl on that red Honda. I'm like, yeah, I got to text her back. And then I didn't. The shell shock delaying you a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, it was. And then I'm like, I got to fucking text this girl. And I didn't text her. (laughs) What? I didn't text her back, Brando. I, uh, I completely forgot to text her back. And I kind of just forgot about the whole thing again. Maybe like, the smartest I, thing. Maybe the smartest thing you accidentally did. Probably instead of being thirsty, instead of being straight up thirsty for that Coca Cola, you were yeah. like, oh, "Wait." Although that word etymology is interesting, right? Because thirsty didn't have the meaning then that it does now. So etymology is another really interesting thing to me. We're speaking in the now about the then. <laughs> Indeed. So so I don't text her back. Completely forget about it. And then a few weeks, uh, not a few weeks, a, a couple more days later, I get another text from the same number from her. And she's like, hey, we should go riding at this time if you can keep up. And that was really funny. Oh, that's yeah. hot. Wow. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. And it was also, it was a funny joke because she had a 600cc bike and mine was a full liter. And I'm like, 
she knows she can't fucking beat me in a race, but I was like, I like the shit talking. It was fun. So this time I respond to her. I'm like, okay, I ought to respond. So I respond. I'm like, well, I met this girl in Spanish, so I'm going to respond to her text in Spanish. So I responded to her simply by saying Kaota, which for most people probably know that just means what time. And immediately, just immediately, she starts blowing my phone up with all these texts in Spanish that I can only understand half of because I've only had two semesters of Spanish at this point. And again, uh, this was before Google Translate and things were as common it as they was, are now. It was before I actually had a buddy in the army translating some of these texts for me because from that point forward, she kept texting me in Spanish for like three weeks and I was like, Oh man. <laughs> Google Translate is a lifesaver because it's really stepped up my game flirting with the cute Italian lady at work. Hey, hey, there you uh, go. Yeah. I, I was gonna say, I got uh, this image in my head now is like playing out where I, I imagine you're like on the front lines, there's tracers going all over a few inches above your head. There's some dude, for whatever reason, he's got some Vietnam era radio pack on his back with a phone and he's busy doing stuff and you're like, Hey, hey, can you translate this email for me? <laughs> I need to know, man. This girl's sending me text messages. I wanna know what's up. It's true. It's true. I was texting my buddy, uh, Jesus Daran, who he's not in the army anymore, but I had actually, I had forwarded him, I had forwarded him a couple of text messages and I was like, what the fuck did he say, man? And then he called me up and he'd tell me what they say. And I'm like, you're a lifesaver. So yeah, the first three weeks of me texting with my wife was in Spanish with her not knowing I have a translator. <laughs> okay. How did you tell her? How did she figure it out? Or how did you let her know? Um, I think she figured it out. Not know, of, because that would be amazing. She, she, uh, I think she figured it out pretty quickly after she started hanging out with me. Because you know, I think we only went on like a couple of dates, two or three dates within those first few weeks, right? Like we went on a first date, and then I don't think I saw her again for a few days after that. And then I went to drill, and I do remember talking to her on drill. And I went out of town to drill. And I do remember calling her up during drill, and I was like, hey, check this out. And then, because we were on the range, and then we fucking fired off all the machine guns. And she thought that was pretty cool. So that was me kind of, you know, flexing or swinging my dick a little bit, or however you want to say <laughs> My dick fires this caliber of ammunition. <laughs> so... Uh, I think, you know, once we actually started hanging out more and more, she realized very quickly the um, limitations of my knowledge of the Spanish language and my ability to fluently speak it. So she never actually asked me about that, but so that, that'd be interesting. I, I should go ask her about that. You should. We should ask her together at some point, but okay, so let's let's move on. I mean, this is uh, you get to a place where you're you know, life moves pretty quickly. Uh, how long have you guys been married now? Uh, we are going to have our 10-year wedding anniversary in two months. On December 21st of this year, will be 10 years. Congratulations. So 10 years of marriage. You have a family. How many kids do you have, Doyle? Seven. Two of them little crumb snatchers. <laughs> and I hear them when I'm talking to you on the phone often. Constantly. Constantly. So do my neighbors. 
You've been listening to The Brevity Box, brought to you by Ruminations Radio Network. If you like this cast or want to find some other great topics, join me, Optimist, on the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast for great discussions on all things retro future. Check it out at ruminationsradionetwork.com. I mean, I mean, look, that's kind of what I, you know, what I'm getting at as far as why I think you're an interesting person, man. You, you go through going to Afghanistan, you come home, you have conviction on what you want. You know what you want, you go for it. And you don't spend a lot of time um, hesitating because of perceived obstacles. And, uh, you know, you... 10 years of marriage, two children, you've built yourself a career and in computer science, let's, I remember all the jobs that like you had so many different jobs. You worked for, uh, was it, was it Veritas? I did. So going back to ever since you hired me at GameStop, ever since that day, I have never had less than two jobs. Wow. I've always been dual employed wow. ever since that day. So it started uh, yes. GameStop and Old Navy, which really yeah, Old Navy, primed you GameStop. to be cop sci pro-military. I mean, the line of oh, yeah. straight shot. I, I think Mitch came in at some point. What's up, Mitch? Uh, he, he is he is surveying. He is a silent oh, okay. auditor. All right. Okay. So, well, anyways, hey, Mitch. I mean, we can bring um, him if he wants to come in for sure. I'll, I'll leave it open. Yeah, so I worked at, you want to go down, let's see, I'm going to have to think. Uh, I worked in the mall for the first few years of my life. My dad called me, I was a mall rat. Uh, I had a mall fix because I would go to the mall on my days off to hang out at GameStop. So, Old Navy, GameStop, then I went to work at a movie theater. Um, enlisted in the, the army same movie there. theater. By the way, I want to say you worked at the same movie theater that um, uh, Iliad. Person, Iliad person was his a, name. Iliad destroyed at one point <laughs> or another. Yeah, you know, I worked with that same guy who had to clean up the bathroom that he destroyed. <laughs> we ever know? Uh, you know, I don't know if he ever knew that I was acquainted with Iliad. Man, I don't believe he did. That Iliad is a total reckless. What a guy. What yeah. To? <laughs> so, yeah, I worked there. Then I enlisted in the Army. When I came back from the Army, I briefly worked at Anchor Blue back in the Tucson Mall. Um, Very shortly. That Then I went to Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Whatever the hell the name of that country is. Um, Came back. Had another brief stint at GameStop, which uh, I don't know if you ever knew him, Charlie. His name was Bernie. I... Um, did, did you know him or no? No, no. Okay, yeah. He he was like two or three managers after you. Um, Travis Spilsbury and Corey Henderson spent a lot of time working with Bernie. Uh, and Bernie brought me back on for a holiday season just because he wanted the help and I was still... I'm still buying video games to this day, and I want a discount. So, yeah, I worked there for a few months. <laughs> 2000, it had to be 2008. Or was it, it might have been 2006. No, I'm, that might have actually been before I deployed. I just want to say, though, I, I'm glad you're mentioning this. You do still game regularly, uh, like I do. 
I I won't go with He's about to call me out on my stance on gaming I'm not, now. I I'm, just not, I'm not calling you out. I'm not calling you out. But I am going to say that mm. I think I, I like hearing about adults who are counter to the narrative of what the average person might think of as a gamer. So to be talking to Doyle, uh, second lieutenant Timberlake, and somebody who has a couple of kids, is married, is got a career and is, you know, in in process of these major things that he's responsible for. This is a hobby of that person. And I think that there is a, uh, to me, I always think of that uh, age group, which you and I are sort of demographically inside the same group, Doyle, is that, you know, that's a, we're a generation of, of Americans that grew up with gaming as a hobby. And I think the hardest thing, if you'll agree with me, is that, it's difficult to find uh, games that are geared to that person. There's definitely games out there, but it's not like when you were younger and everything seemed tempting. Now that that category is narrowed, but we still enjoy gaming, and that I like that. I like hearing that. It's not all slackers and and you know the way that they paint the image of some uh, you know South Park uh, character. That's it's trapped in a basement or something, um, gaming and 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 talking. That's fan. funny because I'm sitting in my basement right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that gaming has been the one consistent hobby that I have had my entire life. Um, you know, I love playing with yo-yos. I've collected a lot of yo-yos throughout my life, but I've done it and off. I did it a lot when I was in elementary school took a break for a number of years and then most recently I collected a bunch of yo-yos and kind of got back into it for about a year or so. But you collect, I mean, that's been something that you've done for a long time. It was yo-yos. I remember you collecting a lot of yo-yos. I remember your impressive collection of games and movies in bookshelves across your room. Uh, And same thing with uh, like a, a, standees posters uh figures you collect and that also hasn't changed right i mean now it's just whiskey right it's- it, it, it is it is whiskey yeah that that's a nice way of saying i'm a pack rat thank you charlie <laughs> well an organized one that makes you order orders the orders aren't organized sir you're organized <laughs> You know, I I think I have a solution to hoarders, but it's not necessarily a good one. But it is probably an effective. One. We talked earlier about me being effective, but you know, we, we don't have to back to Afghanistan, doesn't it? I see where you're going. <laughs> no, no, I just uh, I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll keep it. I'll okay. keep it PG thirteen. Uh, yeah. Most recently, it's whiskey. Um. Yeah, I've collected a lot of whiskey bottles, and I built what I consider to be a quite beautiful bar. I put a lot of work and time into it, and I've got it is it's a lot of whiskey bottles on display. Um, and it's carpentry and metalwork and design, and you've created something phenomenal, but not as phenomenal as the image of I don't know what are you, what are we looking at? It's got to be over eighty different bottles. So it's kind of funny. I have a spreadsheet, and I can tell you, I have to. I, I have a yeah, spreadsheet so to. You have a spreadsheet. 
I yeah, but I have a lot less than a lot of other people. I'll just put it this way. I got more than some and less than others. So I have a total of 179 bottles of whiskey with 36 of those open, 143 unopened. And out of that 179, I have 142 unique, meaning I have some tips. God, isn't Excel a beautiful thing? Yeah, you know, and mine just, all I have on my Excel sheet is the bottle, the number I have opened and unopened, and the date in which I opened it. And I've seen other people uh, that go full-blown where they got it, how much they paid for it, and I was like, oh my god, I could never put how much I paid for it on here, because I know that in my head, <laughs> if I had to look at the actual number... Never do the math, you never do the or, math. Yeah, or... Just, the risk of my wife seeing how much I actually have spent on whiskey? (laughs) (laughs) And we couldn't get her braces. Well, we can now. (laughs) Man, you know how much my wife, I tell you what, modern dentistry is a thing because we put, we, mostly me, uh, put a lot of money into her grill and she has a gorgeous smile. Look, I, I paid for anything. My, my, my mother, put me through a lot of um that kind of stuff i mean i was a crazy kid i jumped down a flight of stairs at four i believed i could fly literally i had just explained so much about you and i put a towel in the back of my shirt like a cape and went to the top of my stairs and i thought okay this is easy take a running start put your hands in front of you and really mean it and i did not believe i up until the last second I thought I was going to, you know, take off and uh, and then I hit the step with my face. <laughs> and then I hit another step with my face. So there was a lot of dental work that needed to be done that my mom put me through and and you know, I I hated it as a kid. I don't like going to the dentist now, but man, I'm I'm grateful. I I really am. it did a lot of favors for me. Yeah, and I I didn't put a bunch of money into my wife's teeth for my sake because I wanted it. I was perfectly happy with my wife the way she was. She's the one who wanted to do this. I just need to put that out there. Oh, it's out there now. I I hope we get enough listeners where somebody brings it up to her. That would be awesome. (laughs) So you go in, you got 180 bottles of whiskey. You've spent a tremendous amount of money. Give me, give me your top. Hey, we just talked about my wife listening. It wasn't tremendous. It was just. And a little more than usual. The equal to the GDP of some small countries, we understand. What I don't appreciate the adjectives you're using right now, Charlie. <laughs> hyperbole. Hyperbole. All right. So give me your your three personal favorite whiskeys and one that you found drastically overrated. Uh three personal favorites. If you don't have three, you can let me know. I'm sure you do though. So it's kind of funny because a couple of my personal favorites that are just, you can find them pretty much anywhere. They're just, you're kind of, you know, running the mill off the shelf, daily drinker bourbons is how I would classify them is uh Michter's makes a sour mash whiskey, which isn't actually bourbon because mm. it's only 50% corn in the mash bill. And, and we could get into what makes bourbon bourbon. Or you know any anybody can do. separate. Actually, I'll tell you the truth. That is something we should have a separate cast, and I honestly think that would be great for uh, a ruminations from the red room cast about whiskey 
and you coming in with that knowledge because I'm telling you, uh, between Mike and Mitch and myself, and definitely Brando, I don't I don't think Brando is as into it as the uh, us others, but we Brando has stopped drinking and gave away what little he had left. So that answers that question. I mean, I don't drink very often either, but w- when I do drink, I do prefer bourbon and i have bourbons that i love and doyle you and i have talked about it whether it was uh uh suntory or whether it was uh, uh angel's envy uh whatever like so going back to you what what would you say those three favorites are and so i really like Mictor sour mash that's sour a little mash. hard to get in kc but i do my best to always have an open bottle of it um there's another whiskey called Bowman Brothers or Bowman. It's B-O-W-M-A-N. I don't know how the company actually chooses to enunciate their title. Uh, they make a single barrel, which is also very good. It's one I like to have. And then for a third one, uh, a third one that I really like a lot is a little harder to find. It's it's Nika, which is a Suntory product, but it's Nika's whiskey from the barrel. Uh, I've actually had some of their whiskey before, and it was probably some of the best I ever had. Yeah. A few old co-workers of mine went to Japan and actually brought me back a little bottle of it. Yeah, Nika, Nika's, Nika has, it comes from, I believe, Beam Suntory. Um, and they have several expressions, obviously, but yeah, their Nika from the barrel is uh, just really hits my palate in a way that I haven't had it. I'm going to have to try that. Well, I've got three bottles of it unopened, and that's one that I try to always keep around, but I will not open my last bottle until I get my next backup bottle. But I've got three unopened bottles, and I don't have an open bottle, so we can definitely open it. I'm telling you, a collector, you're a collector. Okay, so give me the one overrated, and uh, I'm just going to throw out the, the name. I know that people who... Uh, aren't that into bourbon and whiskey? There's always the people talking about Pappy Ben Winkle. So yeah, so is um, that is that? Am I right? Is that one of those ones that you felt were was a little? So it was it was very good. Um, it was a very good whiskey, and I think the reason, my personal opinion, is the reason a lot of people like that whiskey is because it's a weeded bourbon, and we could go more into that in the whiskey episode. Too. But it is a bourbon. Oh, we're doing a whiskey uh, but, episode. <laughs> but due to the fact that it's weeded, it is a very, it's a very smooth bourbon. Uh, very smooth, very easy to drink. Um, very, very soft on the palate, if you will. So I think a lot of people like it for that reason. Um, I don't want to say it's overrated because it is very good. I think it's worth the retail price. I don't think it's secondary price. Ah. If I had to pick an overrated bourbon, I would say also is uh, so. Pappy is ultimately a Buffalo Trace product right. uh, made by Buffalo Trace Distillery. So, so, so it yes, yeah, one that survived uh, prohibition. Yeah, they made uh, medicinal whiskey all through. Well, that's how they got through it, right? Medicinal, quote unquote. They did. You know, I it, it my understanding actually to, to sidetrack here a little bit. Um, not trying to get too much into the whiskey episode, but a a doctor could still write you a prescription for whiskey. So all the laws and everything are still in place to where a doctor can write you a prescription for medicinal whiskey or alcohol. 
so I was wondering if I could get a prescription for that. Could I go to you know my Walgreens? Oh, man, I and... love that. We need to record it if you ever do. We need to record I, it. <laughs> can I pay for that? Can I pay for that with FSA dollars? Oh wow, that would be great. A flexible spending account or medical account card where you're like, yeah, my doctor says I. Uh, I need a little bit of medicine and you hand over the prescription to your pharmacist and he just takes a look at it and looks at you and wants to know if it's a joke. <laughs> and then you're like, no, it would be hilarious to see him walk out into the regular aisle, grab a bottle of Jack Daniels or some other whiskey and come back and be like, uh, okay. <laughs> it would be so wonderful to hear. Now, but this is kind of what I'm talking about, man. When it was games back in the day or movies, you know, whatever it was, you don't – what makes you different than a hoarder, another thing, is that you're not just compulsively grabbing onto things. I mean you have a clearly a knowledge. You're, you're interested. You're a fan of these things. And you will we'll have to post – you'll have to send me some – or post some pictures to the the Discord so that we can use them when we post – to the website so that they can see your bar and your amazing collection of alcohol and you know kind of what you've built for yourself so they have an image to kind of go with it and maybe some uh older pictures of your by the way we need to capture that sound in a drop that'll be doyle sound the cork <laughs> i've heard it a couple times it's nice. It's a nice way to get let us know that you're coming. Like from now on, we're gonna drop that sound when we know it's gonna be you there. Um, yeah. Well, I only pour like a finger at a time, so give me two. Uh, yeah, I might be on the verge of alcoholism. You know, this is you my know, third pour. We don't allow that. Hey, man, as long as you're at least a highly functioning one, it's all good. Yeah. No. No. No slander here. Hey, I'm at my house. There's I'm not driving anywhere. Damn it. Okay, so you're coming into your own you're you're working full-fledged computer what do we call somebody in your normal nine to five job position i mean we're not going to call you a com software engineer software we're not going to call you computer scientist sounded fun to me but software engineer fine uh, well thank you but yeah okay I've, any i mean we've kind of bounced around about a lot of things that you have done do you what would you do you have anything to add about your career of choice do you think do you still find it uh i mean i know it was probably a wise decision obviously for a lot of obvious reasons right and that's not a job that's going out of style anytime uh, soon. no and i and i picked that job for a lot of those obvious reasons sort of wise old dad words in your not head so but plan yeah, for I, the future don't be tunnel vision. yeah yeah that that was one that was a decision that i made out of trying to be responsible more than out of passion I do, I do enjoy being a software engineer, and it's a very good job, and I do enjoy it because it gives me a chance to kind of figure out puzzles in a different way. And it's so, software engineering, computer science is very much like math. Is you know, there's not necessarily one right answer to a problem, and there's many solutions you can have. The kind of the fun of it is the journey of solution enjoy it now to um, do that job so and that that narrows the field yeah i mean it's not it's not my favorite thing in the whole world but you know it, i do enjoy it enough that it's it's been a good job i probably 
if I hadn't met Mona in college, we hadn't had kids, uh, I would have done something very different with my life. Uh, at least for, you know, from, say, I graduated college in 2012. So from 2012 up until, you know, just three years ago, 2017, I would have done something different. Uh, you would have become a whiskey baron? <laughs> no, I would have I would have actually been an expatriate and went back overseas as a contractor. Oh, uh, my wow. Plan was, my plan was after I graduated college, yeah, I I picked computer science as a degree because when I was 16, 17 years old, I had built a couple of computers, I had an interest in computers, so I was like well, I'll just try computer science again, because like I said, I pick something, I try it, I see what it's like, and I go from there, right? Yeah. Like we talked about about an hour ago. So I pick computer science, and, you know, after being in Afghanistan, when I'm in college, and I have all these administrators and these baby boomers who are instructors telling me, it's okay if you change your major, the average student changes their major three to four times. And they actually spend five to six years in college. And I was like, I'm not spending five to six years here. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so I just, uh, I stuck with computer science. I didn't change my major. I, you know, decided I liked it enough to stick with it. So I was going to finish that degree, get the degree, get my expensive, you know, $35,000 piece of paper, people like to say. And I was going to go back overseas and work as a contractor. So. I was going to suspend my contract with the military, go work overseas until I had about a half. My goal was to get 500,000 liquid cash in the bank. And then after that, I'd have to go back to the United States or stay overseas. That was kind of where I saw myself go. That's an interesting question. I, I feel like that journey leads you to be John Cusack's character in Gross Point Blank. You know, you you just come home and your job is professional killer. <laughs> so you know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I like if if you want to talk about qualifications um, and what a person is qualified to do, and if you want to disregard how somebody becomes qualified or who decides they're qualified, then let's just go off of current standards. I would say the only things that I am qualified to do in this life are based on credentials I received are two, one, kill people because I, I am a qualified infantryman. I can gas up airplanes because I'm a qualified aircraft refueler and I can write code because I'm a qualified software engineer. Those are the only three things I actually have pieces of paper to show that I have credentials to do. <laughs> if only there were a document for moral ambiguity, right? Yeah. <laughs> I actually do need to speak okay, to Doyle no. because he, you know, with, with his qualifications, he may be able to help me out with a personal problem. Okay, yeah, this is where we want to take this. Um, so, look. I'm I, not a hitman, Brando. It's an, well, not it's, yet. It's, not with that it's attitude. It's an equipment question. It's an equipment <laughs> and experience question. No, I, I Brando's, your, I uh, Brando's been service. collecting. Yeah, Brando's in his own collection phase, but it's uh, in his case, it's uh, munitions and uh uh weaponry like what what's the latest that you've been sending me pictures of brando oh ar-15 yeah ar-15 and then you've gotten a couple of clear is it clear magazines that you've bought with that don't make fun of my translucent purple ar-15 magazine go vikings 
one does want a hint of color, Brando. Yes. I understand. Yeah. I do it with socks. You do it with mag- magazines. Um, so, Doyle, at what at what point in the army after you've come back? You know, I, I know that it's while you're already in Kansas, you decide to make a transition into the Air Force. I mean, like, what's the? I, I mean, where where did where did that impulse come from? So that actually came partially from the army. Uh, it came from a recruiter, uh, an army recruiter retention guy, actually, whose name I cannot remember. Um, when I was nearing the end of my first contract in the army, uh, well, actually, my only contract in the army. It, it's, I like to joke, which it's it's kind of true, but I'm also playing some semantics with technicality or playing technicalities with semantics. Is I did before I commissioned, I did 14 and a half years in the military without ever re-enlisting, uh, which would normally not really be possible. So, I mean, we can talk about that. So, uh, when I first enlisted in the Army, I enlisted for six years, I initially extended my contract for three months. And then after that, I had a recruiter say to me, a retention recruiter, tell me, he called me up. He's like, hey, you're near the end of the contract. He's like, this is what I think would be good for you based off looking at your file. And I'm like, do you know what would be good for me like i don't even know you this is the first time i'm talking to you you're just looking at some papers and making a decision because you need to keep me in because i'm a number for your job but he said something that actually really resonated with me he's like you know have you ever thought about commissioning and i was like no not really i hadn't because i i was already a sergeant by this time and i really loved being for like uh, a buck sergeant so you're not going to use that term in the army but I was a buck sergeant. So, you know, young NCO, first rank of sergeant, you, you get to train your own troops. I really enjoyed that because I had good. So I was a buck sergeant. He asked me if I ever considered commissioning. I say no. He kind of throws some, some, some interesting ideas in front of me that I had never considered. And he's like, you thinking about, so he asked me, you thinking about being in the military for at least 20 years to retire? I was like, yeah, I'm a little undecided, but I said I'm thinking about that. You know, it's definitely something that I've considered, and it's definitely on the table. And he says, okay, so if you commission, he's like, you've got at least 14 years to go. If you commission now, by the time you retire, you could be at least a major, and your retirement is going to be way bigger than if you stay enlisted and retire as, you know, E7 or E8, E9, probably E8, you know. Sergeant first class or first sergeant, and that that right there is actually what resonated to me. It was kind of looking toward the future. I'm like, hey, you know what? He, he's actually right about that. I'm like, again, keep your eyes on the big picture. Don't be. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. You know, it was probably my dad's subconscious voice or what he ingrained and instilled in me popping up without me even realizing it. And I was like, that would be good for the future. So. Uh, I extended for two more years in the army because I liked what that recruiter had to say. I liked the ideas he gave me. I just didn't like him. Um, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) And it's, it's actually unfair to him to say that I didn't like him because he was the one who gave me an idea to seek commission. So I do attribute that to, no man, you're doing it right. He gave you good information. Bad people give good information from time to time. I'm not saying he was a bad person. Horrible person. 
Worst person on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible number. Very bad number. Very small number. The worst Fake number. Years. A lot of people are telling me. Crazy. Crazy person. Yeah, very small number. Nasty recruiter. Uh, no, so, no, I have no problem with that guy. So, uh, I, I extended at that point, I was nearing the end of my contract in the army. I didn't know what I, so now I'm kind of at a point where I'm like, Hey, I don't actually know what I want to do next. Do I want to pursue a commission? Do I want to sign another enlisted contract? So I was like, well, I'll just extend my contract for two years. Um, that gives me a little bit of a time to think and breathe in. Them. So. Ooh, so I extend for two years, um, end up leaving the Arizona Guard after I graduate college, get a job at Cerner, which was a big healthcare company in Kansas City. Uh, so I move out to Kansas City. Now I'm in the Missouri National Guard in the infantry there. And that unit almost caused me to stay in the Army because that was a phenomenal unit. Great unit. Love that unit. Best unit. Very big numbers unit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really was a very good unit, and I wanted to stay there. Uh, but I had decided by this point that I'm like, okay, I do want to seek commission. I had finished my degree. Uh, I had a job utilizing my degree. I'm like, okay, I want to get a commission, but I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, for a couple of reasons. I didn't want to seek a commission and be an officer in the Army because kind of number one i really loved being enlisted and being really kind of that low level leadership and being really close to the troops because i used to be that you know that grunt troop and and i loved it great it was a lot of fun and i have a lot of good memories and friends we've talked about that a lot in the last hour and four uh so i didn't want to do that and also the army doesn't give you the option of picking your job when you become officer it's entirely based off needs of the army which the enlisted corps is as well but you still mostly get to pick what your job is in the enlisted corps so i thought again coming back to well i have i haven't tried this yet let's let's go try this and see how it is so my dad had retired from the air force so okay he was in the air force i was like i'll go seek commission in the air force so i started doing the research and figuring out what i had to do and you know very quickly realized not not surprising that i couldn't just walk into the air force and pick up a commission uh, unless i joined active duty which i wasn't to do at the time because i just had a job my wife was still working her master's degree so i'm, like, right, I'm not going to join the active duty uh and i still haven't 15 years and still haven't joined active duty. Been in the guard the whole time. Couldn't be more proud. Go guard. I need. I'm gonna need you to edit out that who apart. That was Charlie. That was. That was get carried away. Okay, or, let me see. Or, yeah, let... or Mitch, whoever could do that. Uh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it right here. I'm gonna go one hour and forty one <laughs> minutes <laughs> and eighteen seconds. Edit the whoa. <laughs> no, you, you don't have to because we've talked about it so much. No, uh, so. So yeah, I decided to get out of the army and join the Air Force, and I worked my paperwork and worked with the recruiter so that I can get out of the army on January 4th of 2014 and enlist in the Air Force on January 5th, 2014. 
so I have no break in service. So I do that. Uh, I do that. I join the Air Force with the intention of becoming an officer. Um, and that's and... what's intriguing to me, man, because you, I didn't. I mean, I knew you had mentioned it, but you didn't know that that was going to work out because I remember talking to you when you you achieved it, and it wasn't. I mean, you were. I I just had. I don't hear about it very often. Obviously, I'm a layman when it comes to that, but you yourself said that it wasn't something that happens very often. No, it doesn't. So the reason I joined, part of the reason I joined the Air Force was because I wanted to seek a commission in the military. I didn't want to do it in the Army. My dad was in the Air Force. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to seek a commission and I'm not going to do it in the Army, it doesn't make sense for me to stay in the Army. So I'm going to go try the Air Force because that's what my dad did. So I was like, all right, I've done the Army thing. I know what it is. You know, let's go do the Air Force thing and see how it is. Uh, and also, you know, it it's going to be easier to achieve your goals as an insider versus an outsider, right? I think that applies to pretty much everywhere. So I'm like, I'm not going to be able to walk into the Air Force and just pick up a commission, especially in a guard unit, coming from a completely different branch of service. That would just be asinine to assume I could do that. So I was like, I'm going to go join the unit. I'm going to become an insider, and then I'm going to try to find there. So getting a commission in the National Guard is very much just like a job. It's, but those jobs are few and far in between. So I find this job um, as a maintenance officer that comes up a few years ago, and I apply for that. Uh, interview goes, according to them, it went well. I didn't think it went all that well. Uh, it didn't go well enough for me to get the job. Uh, I'm in the unit for about a year, year and a half by then, um, in this Air Force unit that I'm actually the same unit I'm in now. So I don't get that job, which was fine. I didn't really want the maintenance officer position job. I would have taken it had they offered it to me, because I wouldn't have applied for it if I wasn't willing to take it. But I wanted the interview experience. So I go and I do that. Then I come a couple of years later, uh, come up to a comm officer position, communications. I'm like, I gotta be a good candidate for this. I'm a damn software engineer, and I've got five years of of being a software engineer on my resume. Um, you know, I've got by this time, you know, ten to eleven years in the military, maybe twelve at that point. I don't remember exactly when it was. So I'm like, I got to be a good candidate for this. So I do that interview. Uh, that interview goes really well. I get some more interview experience, uh, but I don't get that job either. Okay, well, you know, that that's fine. Oh, I'm, I'm a little bummed out because I'm like, I think I was a pretty good candidate, but I don't know who the other candidates were. So, you know, I wasn't the best candidate, at least according to the hiring officer, right? right. So that's okay. So... Uh, then I deploy again. So it comes out to now I'm in the Air Force for about four years. I deploy again. This time I go to Qatar. Uh, had a great time in Qatar. Not as long of a deployment. It was only gone about seven months. In Qatar? <laughs> yeah, Qatar. Qatar. I think it actually probably is pronounced Qatar. I think the locals say Qatar. So you could say, if, if you were to say Qatar really fast, you end up with Qatar. I just. Uh, in Cutter. I just remember Devin. Yeah. yeah. So I go to Qatar 
and I worked my ass off. Um, not because I had to, not because I wanted to, just because, um, not to sound cocky or conceited, I mean, I'm a pretty good software engineer, but I'm really good at being in the military. So I'm just good at my job in the military, and I got a good boss. Uh, I got good leadership guitar, and we're the schedule is already set for six days a week, 12-hour days. Although for most people in the area where I worked, aircraft refueling, they would work about 10 hours. But my boss was a damn jobber who would work 14, 15 hour days. Right. Dude never slept. It was insane. But he, you know, I work for him. He likes me. We work well together. So I just work my ass off because it makes the time go, you know, so, so I can come home and see my wife, see my kids and, you know. Did you mention... I got to pause you there. You mentioned a second ago that you, you know, you, you like, you was like, I'm really good at being in, in the military. And I think that that's, you know, that's something that I think is, it's not, it's like I was saying before, I think that comes with maturity. And I think it comes where you get to a point where you just trust your method, you know, like you, you, you stop having that inhibition that comes from not having uh, executed your method of looking at things or making decisions enough to where you have that kind of resolve and confidence in just trusting your intuition and your, your methodology on things. I mean, would it be accurate in saying that that plays a role in you in that statement where, you know, you're in, in cutter and you're there working your ass off and the guy likes you, but it, it, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there isn't you second guessing yourself, right? You have that trust in your own method. With the military. Yes. Not so yeah. much as a software engineer or, or, or father or husband, right? Strip <laughs> military just tears down from military and the other things. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's funny. I've, I've been thinking about that a lot lately is I'm like, if I could really change my mindset, on how I think of myself as a software engineer, I could probably be better. Um, but I've also thought about just going full-time military too. But that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, talked about that before for sure. But we're getting into like a closer to now timeline because that deployment to Cutter was what? How long ago? Uh, January of eighteen. So yeah. just over two years, two and a half years ago. I've been back from that one for Jesus Christ. I've been back for that for two years already. Yeah. It doesn't see time after deployments go by fast. You don't realize that it's like I've been back from Afghanistan for 12 years and I've been back from Qatar for two years. And I'm like, I feel like I was just in Qatar, like not that long ago. And well, I remember yeah. feeling when I came back from Afghanistan, I remember feeling like, Hey, I just got back from Afghanistan. Like, wait a minute, that was like 15 months ago, but it still felt like I just got back. So well, Your life's in motion, though, man. I find that that's the case with a lot of my friends that are uh, married and have children and careers. Now, I don't have children, and I think for those of us who don't have children, it's much easier to kind of be aware of the length of a day or the length of a week, right? And so even if you do like to stay busy and you're on a project and you keep yourself going, once the people I know who have those sort of familial obligations and have to be mom or have to be dad and 
have to take the kids here and take care of everything that comes with it. Humbly, I don't know of all those things uh, carnally, but that's that's the 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 setup that I get for people when they come with the answer of God. That just seems like it was yesterday, and you know, it's the same thing you say about your kids. Like you look at a picture of them when they're four, and you're like, oh my God, they're nine. That's unbelievable. You know, it's, it seems like only yesterday. But that 2018, you know, you come back in 2018. Time flies. I mean, we've been talking now for hour and 50 minutes. Um, I, I got to tell you, I, I know we could do another hour, hour and a half, and I think we're probably got to set up a second uh, visit from you because there's there's more current events and and things I would love to get into. This this is something I, I really wanted to be more about kind of what makes you you. Um, I think we'll probably get into a place where it's a good time to start putting a bow on this particular cast and, and definitely want to have you back and talk about some more of those things. But, you know, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, not too deeply, but I'd love to get your impressions on on politics, especially being in the military under leadership since 2016 and kind of your perspective on uh your military peers point of view i know you and i have touched on that in personal conversation about there being a a generational difference in the perspective of how they view leadership um i would love to get into those things i don't think we have enough time now if you had to give me or brando and i uh sort of a what has 2020 to this point what has it given you in terms of perspective that you didn't that surprised you and we're not talking we're not talking politics we're talking anything else go ahead say say it again stock investments okay (laughs) (laughs) in zoom everybody does hashtag no man pinterest i i bought uh i bought pinterest when the market took shit in uh March at, at thirteen bucks a share, and it closed today at over forty three dollars a share. Congratulations, sir! And I bought not a small amount, not a large, a, a modest amount of Pinterest. Welcome, but damn, it's welcome. all in a Roth IRA. So no, that's know. probably the best way to do it, though. To be honest with you, Doyle, that's pretty smart. Again, your dad's words. Think of the big picture. Very smart Roth IRA. You sound like a uh, 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 who's, uh, who's the, I forget his name now. He's always talking about snowballing. He's got his own show. Dave Ramsey. Um, Dave Ramsey. Right. Dave Ramsey. Yeah. He's not he's, that, he's not, not that kind of snowballing Doyle. Yeah. Don't go there. CD man. But, uh, you know, okay. So buy stocks. All right. But I mean, you, you can see what's going on. Is there anything else? Anything that surprised you about it? 2020? Anything that's yeah, like I mean, I mean, like what's has it had an effect on you or your f- personal life that you didn't see coming has surprised you, and if if nothing, or you know, maybe you don't have an answer for that question. Um, what I didn't see coming was being at home with my kids for six months. Uh, what I didn't see coming, actually. So here, here here's the story, Charlie. Pay, pay close attention. <laughs> what I didn't see coming was if you told me in February that in 
September or October, my six-year-old would be shushing me because she's on a conference call. Because <laughs> she's on the, a Zoom cast. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I mean, you just got to learn to shut your mouth, Doyle. I mean, you interrupt so much. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was quite the experience with, to have my six-year-old say, Daddy, can you be quiet? I'm on my class call. And I thought, I just got shushed by a six-year-old because they're on a conference call. Yeah, man. That that was that was unexpected. Um, yeah, man. So that's that's what caught me off guard. Is I would have never fathomed anything like that in February. And then you know, come March, Kansas was one of the first. I think Kansas might have been the first governor state to call off the rest of the school year as early as they did. And uh, and that's good. Look, I I I think that's. To me, that's um, I'm glad to see some people are ahead of the game. That makes me feel, for some reason, that gives me a, a sense of comfort. We can go into that another time. So, um, you know, Doyle, I know that we can talk for another couple of hours, and and I mean it. You're gonna have to come back. We got a lot more to talk about. I think we're definitely gonna get you in on a on a uh, on on Mitch's podcast and get you could do a whiskey episode with you me and mike um well that would be that'd be a lot of fun i am by no means an an expert i'm you know maybe a little bit above novice for our purposes with the amount of bottles you have you're an expert by the way send us us some bottles Uh, (laughs) (laughs) on a topic like that i'd much rather hear from an experienced journeyman rather than some pretentious head up his own ass self-proclaimed whiskey professional Look, don't if you just gonna, you can just say Mike. You don't have to make all these different words to fill in the blanks. You can just say Mike Harvest. thinks Jack Daniels is good whiskey. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, it's it's it is good, depending on what you need it for, right? Like I, I don't I don't mind it with a Coke in there. So uh, it's whiskey, but it's not bourbon. That's fair. It's Kentucky whiskey. Now, so I I uh, have you ever heard of um, uh, uh, Inside the Actor Studio, Doyle? uh sounds or james lipton so there is a questionnaire um made famous for things that i don't need to go into and explain to people but it's a great questionnaire that was made famous for this country uh by james lipton on a show called inside the actor studio which was you know maybe one of the first or more famous early long interview format shows and the questionnaire is fun and revealing and it's how I like to wrap up the interview portion of the podcast. And I, I'm going to hit you with it. Uh, I'm going to add a question here because of all the things I asked you, I didn't, here's the last two I want to ask you before we get to the questionnaire and, and just want quick answers here. What's the game that you're addicted to right now is the first question. Um, that I'm- Addicted to? Yeah, what's the one that you're most into playing right now? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm addicted to it. But okay. The current game I am more. playing is Final Fantasy IX. Ooh. Well. Retro, very nice. Wow. Yeah, go throwback, man. That's good. Because it's on Game Pass. Oh, yeah, that's right. Nice. Uh, if I had to pick a series that I'm addicted to, I'm not currently playing it, but I really like your series. 
You you were fan of Bioshock as a series. You were a fan of Gears as a series. Is there? I, I, I am a big fan of Bioshock. Yeah, I love Bioshock. That. Bioshock impressed the shit out of me in the sense that. So I just said I was playing Final Fantasy IX. If you think about those early, especially early nine, early nineties Japanese RPGs, the best Joker, RPGs, Secret of Mana. You know, Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy IV. Those game graphics, Zeno Saga, Zeno uh, Gears <laughs> on early PlayStation. All right, I've 1. still got the shirt in my head. I've still got images of that shirt in my head. Uh, those early games, graphics obviously weren't what they were. You know, almost thirty years ago, compared to they are now. So these game manufacturers, content creators, I think. They obviously put a lot of effort into story writing, uh, yeah, because the graphics the- just weren't there. The graphics were good for the time, not discounting what was available in its era or its prime, but the storylines then were much better than what we get today. There was a lot more effort put in. Those games so- back then, they had to rely on narrative to give the player that uh in the ingredients to where their imagination was going to fill in all the spots that maybe the graphics didn't have the the power to do and and I think you're right now they get so caught up in that part of the development that the story and the narrative often suffer not that they always do there's no not always cuz it's again yeah. harder to find great story when you're yeah so in, in the that whole older point of, demographic yeah the whole point of this this anecdote that we're discussing here is Bioshock, Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite, I think everyone here had a mind-blowing, amazing storyline. And it was, I thought it really stood out in the era of, you know, in Xbox 360 game. uh, I think that game came out in 2013, if I'm correct. Uh, Yeah. Doyle, you you might be a guest on a couple of different Casts on yeah, our network. You can, you can because, fact, yeah, you can fact check me there. on that, Brando, and look that up and see when when Bioshock Infinite was released. It was either late 2012 or very early 2013. It, it was. See, it's funny you bring up Bioshock Infinite because that's what kind of got me to stop playing games, and I'll tell you why once you're done. Uh, yeah. So I thought Bioshock Infinite had the most interesting and in-depth and uh, just enthralling storyline ever since that I had played ever since, you know, a Super Nintendo Japanese RPG. So that that's kind of where I was going with that. Uh Brando, why what what was what was your grievance with Bioshock? That um pretty much nothing I played after that could come close to how that plot affected me. Oh, well, that that's that's a good grievance, actually. Yeah, it's hard. I never, I, I that that was that was the only time I've ever ended a video game, where I was kind of slack jawed and just felt weirdly hollow and empty inside, but wasn't upset about it. Between between, and I think the game I finished right before that was The Last of Us. Oh, and that was see now The Last of Us. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Apologize. I just. uh the Last of Us, I would describe as one of those really great games that comes along once every decade. That's I mean, look, there I are mean, very I few. Couldn't even, again, I couldn't even imagine playing that as an adult. 
playing that as a father. Oh, wow. But that game was just so bleak and depressing. I couldn't get through more than like an hour at a time before I just had to walk away. <laughs> yeah. I just the ending. yeah, I only played that about two years ago. I played that after I came back from Qatar. So late 2018, I played The Last of Us. And I'm really excited to play The Last of Us 2 because I want to see where the storyline goes, but I just I haven't played it yet. Again, Doyle, I'm just, you know, after all these, uh, I mean, look, these are impressive accolades, man. This is an interesting person, interesting life. I mean, I'm your friend, and uh, I love you, obviously, uh, and your family to me. But just as an individual in the world, I think you're a, a rare person. You're in that, that small percentage of individuals that, um, you know, I find interesting and worthy of bringing a spotlight to in my mind for it's why i wanted you on the show uh i definitely think we need to have you on more often and talk about everything from games reviews to bourbon we're gonna go there uh and you know well, share same interests uh, don't be uh, I don't i'm sorry for we're all gonna have to have, have it. to edit out i'm I'm slightly addicted to shower patch kids at this point well no. uh, it's all good we're, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have a designated jrpg podcast episode about which jrpg is the best and why is it final fantasy VI? <laughs> listen I, that there are people inside of the, there, there is going to be some individuals inside the ruminations radio network that are going to want to be jumping in on that conversation and be good for it so that'll come in the future i don't um, think charlie's one of them uh listen i think you'd be surprised but let's uh let's kind of bring this thing i want i want to there's only one more question I have for you before I get to the questionnaire. First, I want to uh, let me just go ahead and ask you. So, do you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm at all? Do you know what it is, Doyle? Uh, I know what it is. I have seen a few episodes. It's one of those shows that we'll watch at work over lunch. Uh, okay. But I don't. I'm not an HBO subscriber. That's fair. Uh, but so I I know what it is. I've seen a few episodes. The episodes I've seen are quite entertaining. But I have not watched it from. So it it is one episode of that show, and and it it brings uh to the forefront a funny and humorous question that I have for you. Have you happened to see the episode uh where everybody is thanking this soldier for his service, and they're all together in the same room, and it gets to where Larry David's shaking his hand, and he doesn't. Thank you for your service. He takes his hand and says, "Hey, how you doing?" And then everybody in the room looks at him with scorn and disdain. And the soldier who shakes his hand gets a little disillusioned and says, yeah, "I have to excuse myself," and walks away. You know, because he. And then Larry's sort of perplexed at why he has to say it when everybody else around him has just said it three or four different times. I have to ask you. Obviously, man, uh, we're all grateful for veterans and for a lot of these qualities that you exemplify and what led you to do and make those decisions that you did do you feel how do you feel about it because i have met people who are enlisted or veterans that say they appreciate it they like it i've also come across those that say it's annoying or that it frustrates them where do you land on it um so the fact that people will take the time out of their day to thank me for doing a job um, is, you know, immensely gratifying. 
uh, I remember when I went to when I went to Afghanistan. I remember walking of you know just a bunch of volunteers, people who either former military, or, you know, family in the military, or just like very just a they're they're lined up there in the airport, and I have no idea what they get information. Well, I didn't guess now, and they're there just to see all these soldiers, members leave, leave the country, job. And I walked down this line, and most people just kind of walked past, like, "Hey, thank you." I walked down the line, and I gave at least 50 people in this line. Every single one of them gave me a hug, and I talked to every single person, and I was somewhere near the front of my unit by the end of this. Uh, so that that was a really humbling experience. But that's meaningful. I'm talking about you're at a Winn-Dixie or a Walmart. Uh, I say Winn-Dixie because I live in the South. But, you know, you're at the grocery store, and you happen to be in your camos or fatigues or whatever you would call them, and somebody walks up to you and feels compelled to to thank you, do you find that the same way that you did walking through the line? Um, for for the most part, yes. I mean, I've kind of just come to a generic sort of, you know, hey, thank you. Somebody says, hey, sir, thank you for your service for our troops, and I say, I, I tend to respond in kind, and you know, hey, thank you for your support. We couldn't do or uh, I want to, I want to give a little bit more than just hey, thank that because they're they're gonna take their time out of their day to me. I've never felt though, I think to, to, to really answer your question, I've never felt that uh I'm entitled to any I'm not asking that for sure. No, I'm not asking that. because I choose to do a job. It's just a job. Maybe not everybody's willing to do it, but that doesn't make it any meaning to anybody. I can appreciate that, man. But that to me speaks more to your the character that you've had since I've known you. You know, you're you're a grounded person and um a good man, great man. And you know, it's been it's been a real treat to to be a friend of yours and kind of see where you've gone with everything. Uh and I'll I'll save my thank yous for later, but I, I feel like a dick now for answer, asking that question the way that you answered it. You definitely elevated the answer. I wanted more funny. But <laughs> fine. Be serious if you want to. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to my my little questionnaire here, man. I just want you to answer honestly, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the podcast with that, and um, and then we'll talk a little bit after that after we stop recording. Uh, but we're gonna get started. Okay, you ready? Yeah. All right. What is your favorite word? Oh, um, I don't know if I have a favorite all time. Recently learned a new word, spinner. Really like. All right, you gotta you gotta stop with the sour patch kids just long enough to get through this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, second second lieutenant Timberlake, please put down the sour patch kids. <laughs> All right, so say that word again. What's your favorite word? Spinnerictum. What is a spinnerictum? Uh, it, it's a person who has bigger vitality. Ah, I like this. Oh, it's a good title. Spinnerictum. All right. Okay. What is your least favorite word? Oh, um, can't think of it. Nothing? You sure? I mean, there's no word that bothers me. 
There's no least favorite word of yours that okay, fair enough. What turns you on creatively, spiritually? <laughs> Clearly, it's the faucet. Yeah, there's something going on that's way worse than my chewing. Yeah, I don't know. Is that you, Brando? Yeah, I thought it was on mute. You're not on mute, buddy. I can hear everything you're doing. All right. <laughs> uh, I, I don't edit that. Well, I'm going to leave that in. All right. What's your lead? We got your favorite word, spitter, with least favorite word, don't have one. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, emotionally, is dramatic shows. I, I don't know. shows. I can really get the best in. Um, and then what turns me on or what motivates me is seeing other people achieve. Like when you recently pointed me to that uh, woodworker whose name I can't April Wilkerson. Yeah. By the way, I'll, yeah. I'll drop her name anywhere. She is uh, yeah. watching, incredible. Watching those two videos of her building that floating deck at Oak Grove was just mind blowing, awe inspiring. It's like, holy shit! Like just the creativity that we have and the things that I think about that, like, oh my God, I would have never thought of that. I would have never thought of that, or I would have never thought of that. I had that thought at least three times in the fifteen minute video I was watching it. Like this is brilliant. So that that, I, was, that was that yeah, was Yeah, I'm I am fascinated by uh her work and her ingenuity and and if you if you look in the history, she's a YouTube uh she got her own YouTube channel and, and it's uh really about um crafting, building everything from and, and sort of all facets of I don't wanna just say I want to say fabricating. I don't want to say construction. She fabricates uh, beautiful pieces, and um, and if you look at her oldest stuff, you can see that it started with her doing things around her dad's house or her house, and and like you said, now you see the deck, and you know I find people like that alluring, you know, truly. Like she, her, her she's a. Just the attitude, everything about her, I find to be uh, a great uh, channel. Check it out; it's worth it. Uh, glad you liked it. Okay, so what turns you off? Oh, um, uh, bitching, complaining about things, especially when my kids do it. I'm like, just if if I asked you to do something or you got something to do, just get it done and move on with your life because you spend more time complaining about doing it than it would take you to actually do it. So don't waste the wasted energy. You're spending too much energy on this. It could have been done by now kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. That gets me. And I know that came from my dad too. It's interesting how that works, isn't it? Um, Okay. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, my favorite curse word. Um, Oh, I should know this, but I read one. It's, you know, I probably, I probably say, I probably use fuck more, more often than any other word, but that's just out of habit. Um, but I really enjoy, uh, English insults. They're they're very unique and creative. Like you thinking of Carl? Okay, so what's uh, your English insult curse word? 
um you know there was a there was a little skit so before before Donald Trump was elected president uh around the time uh that England the island of England was voting on Brexit and Donald Trump made some comment about Scotland voting to take their country back but the majority of Scotland overwhelmingly had oh, voted to stay uh, in the EU. There was some news show that did a uh, a little skit with David Tennant, who played one of the Doctor Who's, to do one of those sort of, let's read these tweets thing. If you remember, like, President Obama read uh, where people would read bullying tweets. They did that with David Tennant, but reading tweets about Scottish people making fun of President Trump. And if you go look up this video, it'd be like, you dim-witted fuck trumpets, or, you know, just, just the creativity involved, and, and I'm sorry I don't have a better example. No, 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 I like, I like, I fuck is a, such a, a, a great use of the word, and the thing I like about words like fuck or, or shit is that it always comes back to inflection, right? Like, some people say it quick and short, like, fuck. Some people like get that F sizzle. Fuck. Well, you know, like yeah. I mean fuck's, <laughs> you know, like, fuck's very, very versatile, right? Like it really is. It's such a great word to throw around in different tones, but all right, fuck's a good one. We'll go with that. I like uh fuck trumpet is great. We'll stick with fuck trumpet. And, and uh yeah. Yeah. All right, all right, moving on. What what sound or noise do you love? Oh, um, I really like the sound of the first time I uncork a whiskey bottle when it breaks, when you break the seal and you're popping it open for the first time. That's a satisfying sound. That is a satisfying sound. Probably because I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think those two have to be paired together, but maybe. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. (laughs) They can be just separate. It's fine. All right. what, What sound or noise do you hate? Um. Uh, the the sound of the tinnitus that I experience. The what? The tinnitus or tinnitus, however you want to pronounce oh, that word. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. Like that 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 random yeah. in my no in my ear tends to annoy me. Um. That's really there, there's not a particular. Sound, I don't know, like you know, you oh, know me, Charlie. Might be your kids crying, it might be. Uh, well, yes, my kids, know. my kids whining does bother me, but that's more like the act. I, I mean, you know me, I'm pretty laid back. Most things yeah. don't, I don't let most things bother me. My kids do know how to push my buttons, but I think that's probably all kids know how to push their parents or caretakers' buttons. I think that's true. Now, these next couple, I think we've probably covered to some extent, but maybe you'll be able to sharpen this out for us. Uh, what profession, other than your own view that you have done recently, would you like to attempt? Uh, astrophysics. And like astrophysicist, like you want to be Neil deGrasse Tyson? You want to grow an afro and a mustache? Uh, I, I want to look exactly like him because he's a sexy motherfucker, first of all. No, but you... What you know, what people don't understand is that when he started studying astrophysicists, he looked like you, and then he became like that because of the knowledge. So everybody ends up looking like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. So it's not just 
There's probably several, but they were all different people at one point. In time. I don't, I don't necessarily want to be so much involved in like the math and like the actual work side of astrophysics, but looking up at the stars and reading about other planets and all that we can divine from just looking through a telescope and finding a uh, unique way to interpret that data that actually tells us something meaningful within the scientific method, that's fascinating to me. So I really enjoy I, I'm that. with you, man. I mean, we've talked about it before. I find that fascinating, too. I really do. And um, I find that interesting that that's something that you'd be interested in as well. Okay, uh, what on the other side of the scale, uh, what profession would you absolutely not like to try? What would, do you think would just be absolutely repelling? Um... Don't go with the obvious. I mean, I'm not asking you to clean out latrines. I mean, what? No, no. I was, I was gonna say, being a, I, I'm trying to think of how to articulate this. So, if I were to just be blunt, I would say I would never want to be a waiter in a or a server in a restaurant because I would probably, you know, hit somebody over the head with a plate from the stories I read on the internet. But I don't want to discount people who do that job. No, I understand. Maybe it's just, no, I get it. You have to have a certain disposition and it's not going to be for everybody. Like I can't imagine Brando being a, 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 a patient, uh, kind, well-spoken uh, waiter. I think he, the first time he, like if I were his, like Brando, if you were a waiter and you came and I was the customer and you put down my food and I was like, uh, excuse me, uh, this asparagus looks like it's a little overcooked and uh, you know, my steak, I asked for it medium rare, and it's clearly medium. Could you please take it back? What You're that kind of guy who would go fight club on me, right? Oh, I'd you, be in jail for murder. Yeah. <laughs> right, you would totally take my food just to make sure. He would tell me about it, too. I tanked your food. I can imagine it right now. No, I, I totally understand that. I, I'm not sure. It's, it's obviously not for everybody. Um, all right. Last question, Doyle. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates to you? I, I have no idea. I see. So what would you like to hear? What usually I think people go with an affirmation of something they've chosen for themselves or something else. What, what, you know, you, I'm not trying to direct you though. I mean, just, just whatever first thing comes to your mind. That's what makes this thing fun. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Your brothel can be however you envision it. <laughs> that's a great answer. That's my favorite answer so far. I, I, I hope that's exactly what I hear too right now. That's the best possible answer. I mean, um, that, that if, if heaven's supposed to be your own personal heaven and what you want, then... Your brothel can be whatever you want it to be, Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. Look, I, I really enjoyed uh, having the opportunity to just kind of sit down and talk hey, to you about hey, all hey, the man. If, 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 if you check the chat, there's one more question for you. Uh, well, throw it on there. If you only had a red dot, if you only had a red dot optic with no bullet drop indicator in the reticle, 
what yardage is best to zero in AR-15? So I am by no means an expert on any of this. I can only tell you what I know from You're experience. more qualified than I am. So, so the way that we with zero are um, M4s, which is exactly the same as an AR-15 for all same intents thing. and purposes. Same thing, but no giggle switch. Guys. <clears throat> uh, we, would, we would zero at 25 meters with a 300 meter simulation target. So if you go online, uh, you can just Google 300 meter simulation target from 25 meters. You know, I mean, you'll you'll be able to find the silhouette easily enough because it's standard for the army. So you only zero that at 25 meters, uh, so that way you don't have to obviously walk 300 yards. And that's what we always use to dial in our iron sights and our red dot sights. By the way, I gotta say, Saturday morning. Brando's awareness of how that questionnaire is supposed to wrap up an interview is just perfectly uh, uh, exclamation pointed by this very specific question about AR-15 sighting ranges. Really nice. <laughs> uh, you know, Brando, I, don't, I mean, we, we have each other's phone numbers, Brando. You can always <laughs> text me at any time. No, we got to get it in right after the God really <laughs> That's what I, I don't have a problem with that personally. I'm just putting that out there. For I don't either. I just think Brando, it's Brando's free to text me at any time. He's one of the people on the planet I like. That's so funny, though. It's just great. Dude, Doyle, I love you, man. You know that, your family, but this has been a real treat. I really appreciate you doing it, taking the time. I know it went a little later than maybe you would expected. I definitely want to have you on for more. I got so much more to ask you about, especially pertaining to this year and, and opinions and kind of more on the topic of just what you think about things going on in front of you and and we'll get to that another time but man this has been great i think i think it does show people a lot about why i find you so interesting and why i think you're just a, well, a good I, I appreciate you take wanting to take the time to talk to me um i don't think we went late we went about the time i expected which is why i didn't want to start 45 minutes later so please forgive me for that. Oh, uh, man, it's good. So yeah, thank you, thank you to Brando. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to talk to you, Brando. Uh, I know we don't talk as much as we used to, you know, 17 years ago. And uh, thank you to Mitch. Also, I know Mitch is um, actually accommodating all of this. So. Yeah, no, he, he, you know, we we can definitely uh, talk for a long time about Mitch and and uh, you know, Brevity Box, our show is part of uh, Ruminations Radio Network, which is really Mitch's baby, and there's a lot to be said about that. We've got exciting things coming in the future, including a lot of different um, casts and hosts, and it's it's an interesting and exciting time, uh, to be honest with you. But for now, you know, I'm going to say, got to say goodbye and kind of wrap it up. Um, thanks, Doyle. Brando, you want to, you got anything to wrap up with? No, that was a great guy. Again, we don't talk as much as we used to, our, but always a pleasure, Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, second Lieutenant, uh, Doyle Timberlake, thanks. thanks. Hey, All right, thanks, guys. You guys have a wonderful evening. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Talk to you later. Deuces. Deuces. Bye. All right. Brando, I think that was a an exciting guest. Are we still recording? We are still recording, man.
Yes, sir. Yes, that was a fantastic guest. Get to learn a lot about the... It's always very interesting basically hearing the story of somebody going from a mall rat that basically wore Jinkos in my memory of him uh, to to a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. I mean, that's one hell of a transformation you would never have expected him to make if you knew him as that weird kid that worked at Old Navy. I just I just thought he had you know, uh he was so ballsy as a 17-year-old kid, man, and and to you know, for me I I mean I have a long memory and I I kind of I just I have these images in my head of of him you know, it's weird for me to say as a boy, but I mean I was young at the time. I just I remember him being that person and it's I guess the thing that catches me about it is knowing him for this long and 17 years later it makes sense to me now if i go back then and i think about it from that perspective and when i met him and when i only knew him for a short period of time it it didn't uh you know i could say oh wow i'm shocked and and i think a lot of these questions come sort of been built over 17 years right like there were these moments that i i think that's what makes it so interesting to me is just sort of bearing witness to those uh, twists and turns and, and how it affected him and how he, he grew as a person and um, and being able to put that on display is, is, uh, is a real treat, man. It's, and it's, I've, it's, and it's, I've learned I need to buy a crotch rocket. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, that it works apparently, right? It clear, clearly it works. You're, <laughs> so I'm going to sign off. Uh, we're going to go ahead and end this episode. I want to thank everybody, listener, for tuning in and uh, sticking with us for another episode of Brevity Box. We're going to have more guests coming your way, and we hope you guys stick with us. I hope you have a good one. Thanks for listening.